What's up, everybody? Uh, as we start this podcast, I go into an unusually long segment about my food poisoning saga that I went through over Christmas. If you would like to skip all that and go straight to us talking about the imposter, uh, you can skip to time code 44 minutes and 43 seconds. Sorry about the uh, meandering at the beginning, but it, it was, I, I thought I was going to die. So uh, yeah, go there around that timestamp and you'll get straight to the good stuff. All right, what's up, everyone, and welcome to episode number 171 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Friday, December 27th, 2019. This is the only podcast, the only new podcast that's available because everyone else takes fucking Christmas breaks and New Year's breaks, and and they do the healthy thing, and they take a break from what they do. Not us! Not us. We don't let little measly holidays and family time stand in the way of us just flapping our yaps about stuff that we are not as educated on as we should be. And this episode is no exception. However, it is a special episode because what a great case this is. And I should mention also that this was a Patreon handpicked case for us to talk about um somebody on our patreon i should probably i probably should have had this yeah, person's name you, sh- you should you should look you should look up the yeah anyway name. um this this guy <laughs> whose name is totally awesome okay here joel yeah there he goes joel had been insisting that we cover this uh movie and um you know a movie i'm like oh i gotta sit down and invest time into that blah blah, blah. and is it going to be any good? Well, I'm glad I did because this was a uh, this was a great documentary. Uh, it had some reenactments in it that were all fantastic. The reenactments were incredible. Yeah, like the, the cinematic uh, quality and size and scope of these reenactments was amazing. I mean, the cinematography, the direction, also the acting, and and the way that things were edited in certain places too was just really creative and really continued to draw you in. Oh yeah. Like how the imposter, uh, Frederick Bourdain, like how he would, uh, be incorporated into the reenactments. Yeah. Which I'm sure he was more, more than happy to do. He would break the fourth wall and you'd have the actor who's playing him mouth some words and then he would uh lip sync over them so anyway this was a case that was uh handpicked by joel one of our patreons if you want to become a patreon the last two episodes well last two if you count this one um have been patreon selected i mean the entire episode was based on uh a topic that uh our patreons picked and you can go to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. If you select the $5 a month tier, not only do you get the podcast early, but you can also uh, select the uh, what we talk about. So, yeah, yeah. that's... Wh- so, before we get into the imposter, um, I'm sure Josh is uh, just chomping at the bit to, to talk about... Well, Mike, I got how, show notes here. How his here. Christmas... I got, yeah, we got... Sh- how, how his Christmas went. This isn't this, <laughs> this isn't uh, a normal thing, but I figured there's so much different aspects to the, what's happened since last podcast. <laughs> uh, I needed to make notes. So first, 
Uh, before anything else, since it's the last podcast of 2019, uh, we had some fan Q&A, comments, mm-hmm. questions, whatever. And uh, those were asked to us on our uh, Facebook group, which is, uh, if you go to Facebook, go to the group section in Facebook and search for Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. Uh, there's a few questions being like, are you are you joining this group because you listen to our podcast, basically? You hit yes, and boom, you're in a, a vibrant community of loving people who all love Unsolved Mysteries and just mysteries in general. But anyway, some questions were asked on there. They're probably still being asked as of right now. Um, and we're going to answer those questions at the end of this podcast, so make sure you stick around for that. But, um, yeah, so it's two days after Christmas. Yeah, two days. Uh, so how, how was your Christmas, Mike? How was your holiday season? So my Christmas was fine. It was pretty, uh, uneventful for the most part. I mean, uh, mostly I got all my Christmas stuff early, so I either got Christmas gifts for myself or I got a giant package of movies sent to me by a friend of mine named Jonathan, uh, who's been unbelievably generous, generous and gracious and, just incredibly humbling to be honest because he sent me so many things over the years does jonathan Um, listen to the podcast he doesn't listen to the podcast but he's a he's a fan of my youtube channel okay so so i I can safely say this fuck you jonathan for not sending me anything uh because he's not a fan of your channel like i don't know i just i just kind of have this brother thing with you when it comes to gifts (laughs) where it's like well i should get stuff too (laughs) um so yeah he sent me a bunch of blu-rays and then i took part in some sales and stuff like that for myself and i got some free movie tickets from my grandmother and really i just visited with my grandmother for a little bit on Christmas morning, then went back home, took a nap, got up, watched Elf with the family. I know this is going to be a controversial statement, but I'm just going to be honest. I don't like Elf. I don't think it's that funny. I don't. I, I think it's honestly pretty annoying. I don't understand why it's this Christmas classic. I, I really don't get it. Um, I, I, I like the supporting cast. Uh, James Caan, Zoe Deschanel, Mary Steenburgen. Uh, even, you know, seeing people like Bob Newhart as, as an elf, uh, the elf who uh, took care of Buddy, uh, and raised him or, uh, Ed Asner as Santa Claus. But, and I, I do like the production and art design. I like the idea of having a live actor in the Rankin and Bass world of the North Pole with the stop motion and everything. I think that's really a fun idea, but I, I I chuckled like maybe three times throughout the entire film. Will Ferrell's, Ferrell's character, Buddy, got on my nerves immediately. Just too much high manic energy. And uh, there wasn't much of a dynamic to the manic energy. It was just energy, 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 way too much Christmas spirit. And it's one of those things where I don't mind Will Ferrell. I like him in The Other Guys with uh, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, I... I really like Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby. I also liked him in Blaze of Glory. I like him in a lot of his SNL stuff. So it's not one of those things where I'm not, I don't like Will Ferrell. It's just, I don't like this character of Buddy. Uh, I just find the character to be obnoxious. And that's the main focus of the film. So 
Yeah, I'd rather watch A Christmas Story, Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, um, or, you know, Home Alone, Home Alone 2. Jing- or, Jingle uh, All the Way. Yeah, Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger, which I really find hilarious. Because of two minutes. <laughs> That's my ball. He got two. He, he got, got two. two. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about Elf. I, I never actually watched the whole movie. I've only seen parts. Big fucking surprise. I've never seen a movie. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. I think that uh, his, his energy in that movie, that that playful, childish uh, energy coming from a full-grown man, it's it's a shtick that's like so played out to me that it's just like, okay, okay oh, look how good he is at, pl- at playing a kid. Like, that's so difficult, you know? Like, Wow. I mean, I like to if I want to watch a movie where you're dealing with an overgrown kid, I'll watch Jack with Robin Williams. I thought I actually like that movie. I don't know, like to me, well, yeah, Robin Williams. I don't know. He he's I like not to say not to diminish Will Ferrell because he's like very 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 talented. But uh, I mean, when you're talking about like character actors, Robin Williams is just like head and shoulders above Will Ferrell as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but to me, it's like more impressive to see someone like Hugh Laurie play Doctor House. You know, yeah, something like I did not even know what Hugh Laurie did other than House until I did some research, and I saw you know a bit of Fry and Laurie and all these other things uh, later, and and I heard him the when I first knew that he wasn't really an American was when I saw like an interview with Hugh yeah. Laurie. Yeah, I remember it blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, I wanted I him to. I wanted him to stop. I heard his real voice. I wanted him to stop talking that way and start talking like American. I'm like, yeah, why are you do, why are you doing talking a British accent? That is so wrong. Like, it, it blew my fuck. Yeah, I think it blew everyone's mind because he even has like this American kind of swagger to his personality yeah. on on the show, it, like. To me, totally transforming yourself in that way is something I actually want to watch because it's it's truly talented. But an adult acting like a man baby, it's that's just not that's just annoying. That's not like <laughs> that's not like ooh, look at the range, look at the scope of it. I mean, let's think about let's think about it. Like if this was an actual grown man in real life, being that energetic and you know christmas like you'd be like get the fuck out of here yeah it's like every <laughs> i don't think anyone even fans of the movie elf would want to be anywhere near that person every uh drunk person i deal with at my <laughs> gigs is pretty much like that maybe that's why i don't like the movie i will say the uh, part with the midget though was pretty funny yes that was funny <laughs> that was and it was funny. funnier the you mean oh no you said midget I don't give a shit uh, the little person um but anyway uh, yeah the part with uh, the uh, guy from G- who would be well known for being in Game of Thrones um <laughs> yeah oh yeah that's who that that's who that guy was yeah that actor uh, Peter Dinklage yeah um that is a that is a weird last name he's like call me Elf one more time. <laughs> uh, so I, I liked I liked that scene too, but a big reason why I liked that scene is because he kicked Buddy's ass. You know, yeah. Again, it's the imagery of. Uh, <laughs> it, I guess maybe there's like a lot of slapstick in it, and I'm not yeah. really a fl- fan of slapstick. And, and, and there's there are some, 
you know, quotable lines like "You live on a throne of lies." It was fun to see Artie Lang as the department store Santa that uh, Buddy uh, realized wasn't Santa. You know, he's saying things like, "You know, you smell like beer and cheese. You're not Santa." <laughs> and they get in a fight. Um, it's funny because Artie Lang probably actually smelled like beer and cheese on the set of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was when he was still in his drug-addled I mean, heroin I mean, state. This is, this, this is the guy who did the movie Beer League, so yeah. Which I actually like more than Elf. It's not really a Christmas movie, but it's it's a, it's a really fun film. Beer League. That was Dirt a party line. Norm MacDonald, too, right? No, he's not in that. Maybe Dirty Work. Oh, Dirty. That's the one he did with Artie Lang. Gotcha. That's a fun one as well. God, Mike, um, you're I'd like... rather watch unorthodox Christmas movies like... Toys with Robin Williams, which is a gorgeous movie. The production and art design in that film is fantastic. Uh, and, uh, you know, Hook is also a Christmas movie, too. Oh, uh, there's, yeah, there's loosely. Christmas, yeah. Loosely, yeah. Uh, but I also like Christmas horror. Like, the original Black Christmas. I watched Silent, Di- Silent Night, Deadly Night again recently. <laughs> it's still a lot of fun. It's absolute sleaze. <laughs> and parents got so triggered about it. In the 80s that it got pulled from theaters, his parents were all like, it's nothing sacred anymore. They turned Santa Claus into a killer. Oh, my gosh. If, o- yeah. if only they knew what was to come. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so did you get... Yeah, the- um, so th- I've been asking this question. Like, I'm, I've literally turned into that uncle at the party that, that says the same joke to everyone. And it's not funny, and it's, like, cringy, and it's stupid. But, like, I just get such a kick out of it. I just keep asking. And this is the question I've been asking everyone. I, I, I'm like, All right, so did you get that big black veiny dildo for Christmas that you're asking Santa for? <laughs> Jeez. I've literally asked, like, ten people that. It's, like, this ongoing joke. Nobody thinks it's funny except me. But I just, I just find the notion of if you had to ask Santa for one thing, the thing that you would ask him for is a big black veiny dildo, and well, you'd un- yeah. uh, you'd unwrap I mean, it and you'd instantly that's... start shaking it and wobbling it and going, "Wow, just what I wanted!" And so- well, some people that that might be actually legitimately what they want wanted for Christmas. <laughs> I like how you try to be like. You, you you like to try to bring a little bit of like realism or reason to my my absurd ass bullshit <laughs> jokes, but uh, I was also going to mention how Santa Claus is a little bit off topic, but it kind of ties into the whole uh, why parents are outraged over Santa being a killer or being in a horror movie. Let's just think about Santa Claus for a second, folks. This is a grown man who breaks into into people's houses and creeps around children. Like, it's inherently a creepy concept. Let's be honest. And he's an old white guy. I mean, old white guys are typically, uh, don't have the best reputation for, uh, you know, when it comes to owning big white vans, big white windowless vans. But here's the thing. I think, and then the whole thing, like, he sees you when you're sleeping, he knows when you're awake. Yeah. Um, that's always freaked me out about Jesus. Like it, it sounds like it sounds like with Santa that there are similarities to Santa with Krampus, which is makes sense, and then there's other similarities to other mythological demons or monsters that different cultures came up with to scare their kids into behaving. 
Oh yeah, we do. Uh, we've we've taken we, like America has taken like the the Christmas nativity Bible story, and they've taken Yule, and they've taken all these other things, and they've thrown it in a blender, and they've and we've kind of just come up with this uh, polished, commercialized, slightly religious tinted version of uh, Christmas. I mean, that's that's pretty much what it is in America because. The, the the Christmas tree and the presents and the all the reindeer all that shit that's like all that's all Yule that that's not the Christian Christmas so whenever these Christians are like oh the story about how we have presents because that's what the wise men gave Jesus no that's that's the Yule pagan holiday that that has somehow combined with the Christian Christ's birth and it's become this um, homogenized thing. Because I had to explain to my mom, because on Christmas Eve, my mom's like, hey, on Christmas, let, we should uh, read passages out of the Bible to my my niece, who's only two, and tell uh-huh. her the, you know, about, like, the origins of Christmas and blah. I'm like, mom, no, that what all the stuff you're referring to is Yule, like the presents and the Christmas tree and all that. So, you know, pick one, you know. And then I all proceeded to 86, the idea of, you know, reading from the Bible because I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm right now uh-huh. where I'm at in my life right now. I'm good on on the on God yeah. and the Bible. I'm just good on it. You know, no offense if you're into it, but I'm I'm good. Uh-huh. So anyway, um, but yeah, so yeah, Silent Night, Deadly Night. I think you might get a kick out of it. And those of you who are listening, like if you can handle the sleaze and the gore and all <laughs> of that, uh, it, it's it has its tongue planted firmly in its left cheek for a good chunk of it. And like, there's a scene early in the film where this this kid visits grandfather, his grandfather in a mental institution, and he finally talks to the kid, and he's all like, "Christmas Eve is the scariest damn night of the year." <laughs> he's all like, "Santa only gives presents to those who have been good all year. The naughty ones, he punishes." And he just goes as far to be like, you know, if you've been naughty, you better run for your life. Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, And uh, there's like creepy songs and stuff like that throughout the throughout the film. Like there's a it sounds like a Christmas song. Like it's all like lighthearted, but it's called Santa's Watching. It's like Santa's watching, Santa's waiting, Santa's creeping. (laughs) You're like, yeah. Did you see that uh, SNL uh, parody? I I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus, yeah, and, and then it turned into like, uh, daddy was also there, and he he liked to watch as uh-huh. mommy kissed Santa Claus, and it was like their kink, and yeah, I yeah, that was kind of relatively funny, yeah. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, get anything interesting for Christmas from the uh, parents there, Mike? Did you did you buy anything for anyone uh, else, or was it all well, a I- selfish Mike Christmas? <laughs> I have some things I'm going to send a friend of mine to uh, uh, who's over who's uh, out of state. Please uh, tell me you got your mother something for Christmas. I got her a gift card for a bookstore she likes to go to. Okay, good. I was about to get on. I was about to get on to you. No, I I I contributed. uh, Troy paid half, and I paid another half, and I got her a gift card to this. it's a place called New Renaissance in Portland, so I got her the gift card for that. Because it's kind of hard to find stuff for mom, because she's a little little picky. Ah, uh, I see. It's kind of hard to to find things. 
Um, so uh, I that's that's what I did. My mom, um, my mom used to be all like, "I'm not into material possessions," and then finally she relented and 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 just literally tells us a thing that she wants for Christmas, which is so fucking helpful when someone yeah. just tells you a thing they fucking want. Yes. Like that is so underrated. Like just get uh, another thing, a list. A list is fantastic because I have options. I can surprise you. Yeah. I'm you don't know what I'm going to get you on the list, you know? You don't know how many things on the list I'm going to get you. So thankfully she's That's finally That's why I have an Amazon wish list. <laughs> yeah, I need to make one of those and make it public so randos can buy me shit cuz apparently that's something that's a thing out there, but <laughs> No, I got uh my Christmas um well well, I, before he gets into yeah, that, because he mentioned, you know, did my parents get me anything? And yeah, they did. I asked for this expensive two-volume book set. Uh, oh, yeah, we talked about that last week. Metamorphosis by Rick Baker. Yeah. And they actually got it for me, and I got it uh, fairly recently, and it's gorgeous. It's absolutely just amazing. It's just... It, it's... It's it's just a really cool looking uh, set. I haven't read it yet, but um, it'll take a bit to read it because each each uh, book is like over three hundred pages. <clears throat> All right, well that's cool. So this is actually going to be a segment in our podcast <laughs> because <laughs> it was so all fucking encompassing. Um, uh, so this is Josh's food poisoning saga, aka was it was it Starkist or was it? Tuna of the sea was it? Hey, Mike, I don't need you spoiling anything here. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, This is Josh's food poisoning saga, or how I learned to love Christmas. Um, (laughs) All right, so Saturday, this last Saturday, the twenty first, December twenty first, we go to my aunt's house for Christmas Eve with the extended family. Sure, it's not really Christmas Eve, but. That's when we're all getting together, so what the fuck? We're playing the white elephant game, Yankee Trader, whatever you call it. It's where you buy a gift uh, under $10. And they're usually pretty crappy. Yeah, put it under the tree, you draw numbers, blah, 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 whatever. They have... uh, What did you get? Uh, I I actually got a good one. I got a uh, $20 Visa gift card and three Uh. three scratch-off tickets. Which none of did you win anything? No, no, you never win dick on scratch-off I got scratch-off tickets from work. And I won four dollars. Yeah, it's if you win anything on a scratch off, it's usually literally just to cover the cost of the actual ticket that you bought. Like, well, I mean, they were a dollar, so I guess I could use the four dollars to buy four more tickets later and see what happens. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, they should call them rip off tickets because that's all they do. They take your money anyway. There were these finger foods there. They, uh, my aunt had brought these Subway, because, you know, Subway does these catered kind of things where, um, you know, it's like little sandwich, like handheld well, sandwich there's things. there's your problem right there. Subway. Yeah, we all know Subway sucks, but their meat is so fucking processed, it's usually fine. And I had a turkey sandwich, a little turkey, finger food turkey sandwich thing there, and it was fine. And so I'm going to leave, and my aunt's like, do you want to take a plate home with you? I was like, all right, uh, I'll, yeah, sure. So I throw in some sandwiches, and I don't think anything of it. So then I go home. Everything's fine. I don't eat the sandwiches that night. I go to bed. I think I ordered pizza or something because I had a coupon. I go to bed. Uh The next day, Sunday, December 22nd, I wake up, and it is our white night entertainment work party for all the DJs who work for my boss's company. You know, I'm a karaoke DJ, as some of you may or may not know. 
Uh, my boss. Re- what an unfortunate name, White Knight. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, you know, it's. He wanted to name it um, Dark <laughs> Dark Knight Entertainment after Batman, uh, but that name was taken, so he just said, "Oh, I'll name it White Knight." And I don't know if he realized that that's what <laughs> the Ku Klux Klan was originally called, with White Knights, or or, or the whole, uh, you know, uh, Milady. You know, oh white yeah, white, oh yeah, white knighting. Okay, so I went with the racist angle, and Mike went with the much <laughs> less, uh, you know, harmful angle, which is typical of him and I. Whenever a topic gets brought up, I go scorched earth. He's extreme. Yeah, I'm a little extreme, extreme with the my, but no, that is the original white knights word. But but anyway, whatever. It's just a, like Josh got extreme for food poisoning. It's just a fucking name. <laughs> Uh, Mike, if you spoil my story one more time, uh, even though everyone already knows what we're talking about. Uh, anyway, we go to this work party and it's fine. Uh. Open bar until 10. Cool. I was drinking so much alcohol left and right. Shot of this shot of that. I didn't, I didn't understand why I wasn't more drunk, but whatever. We went out, sang some karaoke. Seemed like a fun night. Went home. There's a few people at my house. I decided that I wanted to uh, go to bed because it was kind of late. Uh, I started kicking people out. um, And I started feeling uh, hungry. So I was like, I'm going to... I I remembered those sandwiches from my aunt's house. I was like, I'm going to eat one of those sandwiches. Um, One of them was a tuna fish sandwich. I loved tuna as a kid. I ate it all the time. And uh, I was like, ah, you know what? I'm going to eat this turkey sandwich and I'm going to eat this tuna fish sandwich. And uh, then I'm going to go to bed with a full happy belly full of uh, food and alcohol. And it was a big mistake. It, it was one of those things <laughs> that if I could go like back to the future, you know, like if I could go back a few days ago and slap that fucking thing out of my hand and shoot myself in the foot with a gun to where I couldn't walk over to get it. I would have done no, that. No, you just grab it and throw it in the trash. <laughs> That's not as fun or dramatic. <laughs> this, or you just slap, you just slap it out of out of your uh, past self's hand, and then point would do the finger, just wave the finger at him, you know, just be like no. So, according to a uh, transcript from a a friend of mine that was in the kitchen with me when I was about to eat this sandwich, this is pretty much how it went down. She said. Josh, are you sure you want to eat that? It smells funny. Me. I don't care. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat it. And I proceed to shove the whole thing down my pie hole. Literally like an 30 minutes later, I start feeling some grumblings and some rumblings and some jumblings yeah. in, in my stomach. I'm not feeling I'm feeling some whooshins and some swooshins. It feels like I'm washing a load of clothes in my stomach. And I'm like, okay, this is not this is not something that that is uh, what I want to be feeling like ten minutes before I'm ready to go to bed. And then I lay down in bed and I start feeling nauseous. And I'm like, okay, I've had way too much to drink tonight. I knew this was probably going to happen. I'm going to go make myself throw up. I'll feel better. Go to bed. Wake up refreshed without all that crap in my stomach. Anyway, go outside. I throw up. Sorry if it's too much information. Big pool of throw up. Just I was happy with it. I was like, great. I got all that out of me. Fantastic. You know, move on with my life. I lay down in bed. About 15 minutes later, I'm not having the refreshed. Oh, I feel so much better feeling that one gets after throwing up. 
I'm feeling sick again. Like I need to throw up a second time. I'm like, okay, let me go do this again. Throw up again. I feel like I'm throwing up the rest of the remaining contents of my stomach. I'm like, okay, well, that's got to be all over. And then after that, for the rest of Sunday night, every 15 minutes, almost on the fucking minute, I was having to go to my bathroom and throw up. At some Man. at some point God. in the middle of all this, and these were not throw-ups where like, oh, I feel sick, so I'm going to stick my finger down my throat and get it over with. These were the kind of throw-ups where... I feel so sick that I can't control when it comes up. It just comes up when it comes up, oh. which is like the worst feeling ever because it's oh, it's like because you feel it's almost like a like a dubstep break. Like it's like oh. it's like leading up. It's like like it's literally like you you feel it building up. Like you start getting the cold sweats. You start you start hyperventilating a little bit. Like, it's like your body is preparing you to do something against your will. and So did it come out both ends eventually? It it's Yes, Mike, again, with the spoiling <laughs> of my fucking story. At some point in the night, it started coming out both ends with the same level of viscosity in either end. Oh so we're talking God. liquid yoo out of one end and what looked like Ooh. just yellow chicken broth out the other end. Because, mind you folks... You can only throw up so much food content in your stomach before you start dry heaving. And then when you start dry heaving, your body's like, well, we don't know what else to do, so let's just start pumping out some stomach bile. And stomach bile is yellow, and that's what I was throwing up at that point. Uh. It just looked like some some fucking, you know, the, the, the cheddar uh, soup from Panera? It was like that without oh, the broccoli God. chunks in it. They're making me nauseous. Oh yeah, it was it was it was fun. It was a fun time. That just just dysentery, just craziness. This one, I was literally and Stephanie had crashed neck, you know, in bed next to me because she's basically my stepsister. You know, she had been drinking. I wasn't going to have her drive home. She her ass was her happy little ass was sleeping through all of it like a little twinkle toed elf. I was like <laughs> returning to bed every 15 minutes, just laying in bed, holding my stomach, just going, fuck me, fuck me, oh, fuck me. It probably sounded like I was like having sex if you were someone in the other room, but no, I just literally was feeling so bad that that was the only thing I kept saying. It sounded like the, the robber in Robocop. Yes. When you first saw Robocop, and then it's all like, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I, I I I funny enough I thought about you you saying that quote when I was in bed saying that. For whatever reason though, that just felt like the right thing to say, but she's No, I I I mean I haven't had food poisoning that bad, but I've had some moments where it's just one of those things where it's the pain, like the stomach pain, like it could be debilitating at times. Oh yeah, like, and you're just waiting. It's just this pressure building up, and then it's not releasing, and then you're just like sitting there, and you're just like, oh fuck, yeah. You're like, ah, yeah. So <laughs> finally, I I knew that I couldn't go to sleep because I knew that. Oh yeah, I knew that if I went to sleep, I would just be woken up again with throwing up. But this, but at least, and then you might throw up in bed, right? And then that would be gross. I would and wake Stephanie up. Yeah, I would throw up in bed. I'd have to. Yeah, it would just. It would have just been a whole fucking thing. So, can you imagine that? That would just been horrible. It would have been hilarious, but also horrible. <laughs> yes, I do agree. <laughs> 
just projectile vomit. Her just like sitting up with like just this yellow coat on her, like ah! <laughs> Why? What did I do to deserve this? So anyway, um, if you if your friendship would survive, you know, after that, you know, that's a testament to how strong strong it is. <laughs> I I I make it to like the morning hours now and and now it's like dehydration is setting in like a motherfucker because I I you can only the body can only lose so much fluid, you know, before you start I mean, you know, the classic symptoms start setting in. You get thirsty, then you get cramps, then you get this, then you get that. I mean, it was just all there. The gang was all there of dehi- classic dehydration. Um, the final time that this happened at my house where I really got scared was I was on the commode and I was throwing up in a trash can and I almost like passed out. And then, and then when I kind of tried to snap back into it, I was like confused and dazed and I did not know where I was. I did not know who I was or what was happening. I felt like I was in a dreamlike state. Wow. At that point, I got legitimately scared. I was like, okay, this is beyond like me just having a bad stomach bug. So at that point, I told Stephanie to call 911. And I had to go there. You know, I really, I, as someone who is a, as big of a control freak as I am, I am so, I was so defeated and scared that I was like, I can't believe I, Josh, am having to call fucking 911 right now. Knowing how much, how expensive an ambulance ride is, knowing how expensive going to the ER is, healthcare in America in general, folks, welcome to it. But fucking ambulance comes, they put me in the the back in the uh, stretcher, in the ambulance, they're asking me a million fucking questions. I feel like fucking shit because at this point, not only have I been throwing up my intestines and my my soul for the last six hours, I've gotten no sleep. I'm I, I drank heavily the night before. I, you know, nothing was going for me. And I was having a panic attack on top of all of that because I didn't know if I was going to die or not because that's how I felt like at the time. And they take me three minutes down the road to this ER that I didn't even realize existed. It's one of these like standalone like shoebox size ERs. It's like a independent of an actual hospital. I drove past it a million times, but I never really realized what it was for. And uh, they take me there. So I probably paid $800 for a three minute ride. Um, I go inside. They, you know... I'm laying in the room, a nurse comes in, she's asking me a million fucking questions, which is the last thing you want to do when you're feeling like death is answer a fucking bunch of administrative questions. And, you know, she she finally gets a saline drip into me to, to rehydrate me. At this time, a new problem emerges. From all the dry heaving, I have effectively Charlie horsed my entire diaphragm. So my breathing has become incredibly labored and painful. So at this point, I'm like taking these very short, shallow breaths on top of being panicky. So I'm like, am I going to just like, like asphyxiate? Am I going to die of like, not being able to breathe. I'm telling that I can't catch my breath. I'm telling the nurse. And I was like, you know, do you guys have some kind of a breathing apparatus? I can't breathe. And, you know, my my chest is so fucking sore and Charlie horse that I, I can't take a deep inhale. 
And the nurse is like, honestly, she's like, it sounds like you're just breathing too rapidly. You need to slow your breathing down. We took your vitals and your oxygen saturation is perfect and blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, great. I'm doing this is all psychosomatic is what you're saying. Great. I knew it wasn't. But, you know, a cramp is a cramp. So what can you do? Finally, they inject me with, like, Femitafukafuck, which is some uh, (laughs) anti-nausea thing. They inject me with uh, Pepsid, uh, and they inject me with uh, morphine, uh, which is a a kind of a hardcore painkiller that they use in hospitals to help me with my... probably almost knocked you out. Surprisingly, it didn't. I learned a lot about my tolerance that day. Made you loopy, though. It made me uh, finally able to get the fuck to sleep is what it did. That's really all it did. I talked in my sleep a lot, too, as a result of it. I felt for my dad for a moment there because my dad always used to talk in his his, uh, uh, opiate-fueled nap hazes. Was there anyone there to hear you talk? Oh, yeah. Stephanie Stephanie was in the room with me. She was there. She, you know, she... Finally woke up and, you know, followed me to the hospital and she was there to hear my delusional ramblings. Um, and What were you rambling about? I don't, I don't, I couldn't even tell you, man. I was in a dream and I was like <laughs> narrating the dream as I was having the dream, but... Um, You'd just be narrating the dream like Robert Stack? No, it wasn't nearly <laughs> as cool or as with as any kind of finesse as Robert Stack would. But man, when they injected uh, that morphine into me, it literally felt like... Uh, you know, have you ever had like the that feeling of like the blood being cut off to your arm if your arm's in a weird position or your leg? Yeah, and it just feels like the blood is having uh-huh. a hard time traveling. That's how well, I mean. That's how my entire uh, circulatory system felt. Yeah, as the morphine flowed. When I get hit by a car, I mean, I probably got morphine or something. I don't. I don't remember exactly what what it was they gave. It was me, this but, weird. Yeah. It felt like all my veins were contracting. Like, it, it was this very weird feeling, I, but... I remember when I took Percocet, like, for, you know, the time after the accident. Like, it would just, like, you just... It, it would just be this just warm numbness that would just spread all over your body. Yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, it Like, all of your muscles relaxing at the same time. I, yeah, I guess that's what it was. One the, by one. the nurse told me because uh, I was like, you know, I'm a I'm a fucking panicky son of a bitch. So everything that was happening, I, I was I had to comment. I'm like, nurse, it feels like all my veins are collapsing. And she's like, honey, everybody reacts differently to the morphine. Just she had to tell me she's like, just go with it. <laughs> when a nurse tells you to just go with Whoa. like this drug yeah. sensation, that's when you know that you're being a little bitch. Like, well, it's like when I got hit by the car and I was just constantly, you know, saying while I was getting put in, put in the, uh, on the, um, gurney with the neck brace on and i'm in the back of the ambulance and i'm like am i gonna die i don't want to die i don't want to die i don't want to die that goes you're not gonna die you're not gonna get you're not going to die yeah i was doing this so i felt bad i feel bad for like some of the paramedics and the nurses because some of them are probably thinking in their head like you're not gonna die you're gonna be fine but if you keep saying you're gonna die I don't know. I just wish they could instill <laughs> that quiet confidence onto me because they know for a fact that you're fine because they've seen a million cases of yeah. people who are actually going to die and then they see you and they're like, yeah, no, you're not going to die. But they, they uh-huh. can't like, there's no way they can impart that confidence to you. No. All they can do is be like, no, nah, you're fine. Because I was doing the same thing. I didn't ask if I, if I was going to die, but I was like, am I going to be all right? And she's like, yes, you're going to be, you're gonna be all right. 
And yeah, so I finally get out of the ER after they let me rest for like a few hours. And I'm surprised they didn't uh, pump your stomach. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if that would have been warranted or not. I mean, I think the stomach bug once it gets to your intestines is when it really becomes a problem. So yeah. it was already past my stomach, I believe. But anyway, yeah. uh, I get out of the ER and I fucking throw up again. And I'm like, are you kidding me? They just gave me all this anti-nausea medication. Are you fucking serious? But that was the final time I threw up. Like that was like the, when right. I walked out of the hospital. So, so I guess the lesson that you learned is uh, don't eat things that smell funny. And uh, especially uh, stay away from Subway's uh, tuna fish sandwiches. Well, I then learned that uh, out of the six like most uh, food poisonous foods, tuna is like right up there. Yeah. And on top of that, I don't know how long those sandwiches had been sitting out. Uh-huh. You know, it's like turkey. The turkey was fine. I don't really blame the, oh, yeah. the turkey, but the tuna—that's the whole different ball game. But yeah, so Christmas Eve, uh, you know, I felt a little better. Uh, although me being the jackass that I am, uh, I'm like, okay, I'm feeling a little better. I'm not throwing up constantly. Now time to return to my normal life. And I eat this big ass plate of food and then I feel like complete shit all over again Uh because my stomach's like, Hey asshole, we just went through like 24 hours of bullshit. Can you give us a break and give us some soup or something? I'm like, Nope. Digest these beans and meat and grease. You know, I'm such an idiot. And then pretty much every day since then, it's just been this, like, slowly feeling a little better, a little better. And then as of today, I'm, like, 98% better, so... Well, good. That's that's good to hear. Oh, um, God. It was awful, but, man. It was really yeah, bad. It sounds awful. It's like, it sounds like a nightmare. It was. The it, nightmare before Christmas. It really was a fucking nightmare. Like, I can't stress was, to you... It, it literally was the nightmare before yeah. christmas like i and then like your whole life feels weird because then you then you're like having to go back to your normal life and it's like how did i live before i've been i i was so close to death like how you know how do i just go back to be you know hosting trivia and and were you really that close to death though? no i'm just being a dramatic little bitch that i am i'm such a fucking like i was i was i was really close to death yeah no no yeah you you got hit by a car that (laughs) was you've the the witnesses tell you that you know you flew 15 feet in the air and landed face first in the asphalt when cars going 35 miles an hour yeah yeah (laughs) that's literally standing right in front of death getting hit by death and then still finding a way to get back up, you know, because it just wasn't your time yet. That's really, that's really, uh, it, it's still something that any any day when I think about, like, oh, man, like, things are kind of sucky, you know, like, oh, my sports team sucks, they can't, they've lost a crucial game. How, how do they lose to the fucking Eagles with no wide receivers? You just be like, well, you know, I could not be here to watch that game. You know, so it's one of those things where it just puts everything into, just, into perspective. Just pretty much hashtag perspective is just the point that yes. I want to get across. But no, that was my Christmas. And, no, and then your point is don't eat things that that uh, smell suspicious. I'm just or listen to it, people's advice. It sounds like, you know, you had people who were uh, pretty cognizant and aware that wasn't a good idea. So, yeah. 
I guess going forward, you're definitely going to pay attention to to your uh, friends and, you know, Every, their advice. Everything that, that I've thing. learned to not do in life has literally come from somebody saying, hey, you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe it didn't work out for you, but it'll probably work out differently <laughs> for me. And then it works out the exact same terrible way it did for the person who tried to give me the advice. And then I go, hey, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. And I say, I'd say that to other people. Uh, school of Hard Knocks is what they call it, and that that is... Or famous last words. That is how I learned fucking everything. <laughs> so now I know to not eat tuna that's been left out, or mayonnaise that's been left out, and I will not be doing so in the future. But you could not have told me to not do that before, because I would have been like, yeah, well, maybe you got sick, but I'm different. I'm such a... I don't know, man. I guess that was... A, stubborn. Uh, yes. Stubborn, ignorant, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and then for Christmas, I wrote my mother a song. I brought her to tears, and I got some PlayStation 4 oh, games. Wow. So that Ooh. was... That's to wrap up this Christmas segment and the food poisoning saga. That All right, so now we're going to get into this awesome case that, again, was brought up to us by one of our Patreons. Um, and it is the case... Well, first of all, they made a documentary about it called The Imposter that came out in 2012. And uh, like we were saying earlier, this was a fantastic yes. documentary. Uh, Directed by Bart Layton. Good, good uh, I thought Bart he did Layton. a really uh, amazing job directing this film. It had a great look, style, uh, mood, and atmosphere to it. Uh, for such a fairly low-budget affair, it doesn't seem like this is a film that costs that much to make. Uh, yeah, but uh, it still looked like a high budget production, despite that fact. Um, it's uh, a film that apparently A and A and E was somewhat re- involved with it as one of the production companies. Because uh, A and E apparently had a production company called Indie Films, like A and E Indie Films or something. So they were one of the major production uh, companies behind this film. It was on Netflix at one point, but I don't believe it's on Netflix anymore. So, um, I watched it on Tubi, which was a, Yeah, it's on Tubi. Which is something I've never heard of, but it's fucking awesome. Tubi's actually pretty cool. Yeah. Tubi has a lot of stuff on there, so uh if you can deal with a few a little bit of ads. And the ads aren't even that you know, bad. A, They're reasonable. It was like, uh, you know, an ad every, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. It's not like NBC's online streaming uh site where the only place I could find season 2 of The Invisible Man uh from the Sci-Fi Channel is on there because it's no longer on Hulu and I got to deal with five ads like every eight minutes or something. It's just, yeah, that shit, that shit's obnoxious. Hulu's pretty bad with ads too if you have the ad-based Hulu. Yeah, I don't pay for the ad-based one. I pay for the non-ad-based. I pay more, but it's worth it's like it because I don't have yeah. to fucking deal with ads. It's like a six dollar, <laughs> it's like double the price though. That's the only problem with it, like for the ad-free Hulu experience. Well, I think Hulu has some of the best uh, TV show selection out there. So if you're into like TV and stuff, like that's the best uh, streaming platform right now. But that probably won't last because of all these other streaming platforms that are popping up and sending all their stuff to theirs. So anyway, the imposter. So I'm. We're just gonna go through. Uh, we're using the Wikipedia article kind of as a uh, skeleton to keep us kind of on track. But I'm, we're going to be recollecting kind of the events from what happened uh, around the case of Nicholas Barclay. This was a little boy who went missing in 1994 in the town of San Antonio, Texas. Um, 
He was 13 at the time of his disappearance. And uh, the, the documentary does show some uh, home videos and stuff of the kid. Apparently, it seems like the kid was a little bit of a problem child. Uh, but it also seems like that was not entirely his fault. It seemed like a lot of enabling was going on uh, with his parents, or they just didn't really you know, decide to discipline him that much. So he was able to kind of just run around and be a, a little hellraiser. That was definitely some rednecky oxycodone vibes I was getting from the mom. I mean, there's a, there's a home video, uh, clip where he's playing with a lighter. <laughs> I mean, Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with that, man. I was, I was, uh, I was a little kid playing with lighters. But, you know, that's what you did out in the country because... You shouldn't have been playing with the lighters. I, I turned <laughs> kids, out fine. Kids should not be playing with fire, period. So, anyway, <laughs> this kid, Nicholas Barclay, was last seen playing basketball with his friends. And then he went missing. He never made it home, and he's not been seen or heard from ever since. So, before we get into uh, the documentary, I want to mention a little... some. Extra information from the New Yorker magazine article, which is a great article, but it's really long, folks. Uh, it's linked in the group if you want to check that out. Um, but apparently, uh, Nicholas uh, was violent, and he was due the next day to be in front of a hearing that was deciding if he was going to be admitted to a juvenile home. Like most 13-year-olds, he did not want to be admitted. He had a chaotic family who were suspected of physically abusing him because there was some, there was suspicion of things going on. Like uh, in the documentary, there's one of the neighbors is interviewed and she's talking about how like the cops are called a lot because of arguments and all these other things. It, it was kept pretty vague, but I'm wondering if those arguments were like violence. You know, from the father or, you know, the kid towards the parents or some of these other things. Because, um, yeah, as, as you know, private investigator Charlie Parker, who we'll get more into later. I mean, as he said in the documentary, it's like, uh, it's not unusual to have family arguments, but it's so bad to where the cops are called. That That is unusual. Yeah, multiple times as well. So um, that's a little bit that was left out of the documentary. The fact that the kid was... He was set to be disciplined by uh, by authorities, and he just uh, disappeared. Yeah, that is a kind of a semi-important detail that they left out. I feel like that that would have kind of gave some a little bit more context. Uh, I don't know why they left that one out, to be perfectly honest, because it does tie into the whole stuff they're talking about with a rough family life, so I don't know why that was left out. Yeah, and... At the beginning of this documentary, they're showing home footage of Nicholas as a kid, and they're kind of uh, interviewing all of the uh, family members. Yeah, you got the sister and the mother. This and I really like the way it started. It's very uh, unique. The editing throughout this entire documentary is great. This is just a early example of that, where they say a couple lines about Nicholas and about you know what they were feeling at the time when Nicholas supposedly returned to them. And then you get uh, the audio of the person who's calling over the phone in Spain talking about this kid who's uh, hiding in a phone booth in the rain and doesn't want to come out. And then 
what happens is the the film you get the opening credits, but then it just rewind it it rewinds. So you see you hear like a rewind uh, sound, and then the the film itself like rewinds back to the point where where the phone call first began. Right. So it was just an incredibly uh, unique and innovative uh, way to open the film, let alone uh, edit it. Yeah, and I can only imagine the people off camera asking the questions to the family of Nicholas Barclay were probably asking questions to the sister Carrie, for instance, or the mother Beverly. They were probably asking questions like, so what were you thinking at the time when you got this call? And how did you feel at the time when you saw him? Because they're answering the question or they're, they're on screen saying, you know, things like, we were just really happy to get Nick and we were so happy to see him and blah, blah, blah. And, and kind of knowing that, you know, spoiler alert, that this person who they think is their little brother who was found in Spain is not actually... Three years, uh, yeah, three years after his disappearance. Is, is yeah. not actually their brother. They know this at this point no. in the documentary. Obviously, the documentary's been made and all that. I think they might have known it wasn't him in the first place. Right, and that's a whole nother that's a whole nother can of worms with that. Um, oh, they have an Amanda Knox documentary. I'd like to watch that one, Foxy Knoxy. Uh, anyway, who Amanda Knox? She was that uh, American who lived in Italy, and she somehow she got um, blamed for the death of another student in Italy, and it was this big oh, okay uh, hubbub, you know. Anyway, um, all right. So, looks like it's on Netflix. So they're telling you all yeah. about Nicholas Barclay and his family, and they're all real Southern, and and it's like, all right. And then all of a sudden, they're talking about how they received a phone call from from Spain from the, uh, the consul general saying that they have Nicholas in their custody in Spain, and, you know, the, the sister... Carrie, she's all like Spain, you know, like that's she actually says in the documentary, she's like, that's on the other side of the country. And I'm like, uh, no, no, sweetie, that's a that's another continent away, actually. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> she's like, we, we've never been out of the uh, out of the out of the state, let alone the country. And and then it kind of cuts to this guy in, in the documentary. And this guy's got like a gap in his teeth and he's got this very mischievous kind of smirk. And he's got this very thick Parisian accent. Yeah. And he's talking about how, you know, uh, I I dress like a kid. I have a hat over my face so they cannot see my face. Uh, I'm in a phone booth. I'm scared. I don't talk much. Uh, you know, the, the, the police come and they try to... Uh, talk to me and I don't say much because I know if I talk they they might know more and the less I talk the less they know and he's like no one give a shit about me growing up no one care for me all I want is a second chance I want a second chance at childhood and he's talking about how my main goal is to get into a children's home or a children's a, a teenage shelter or whatever. yeah and and as you find out later in the documentary, when they list off this absurdly long list of aliases and uh, frauds and crimes that this man had been responsible for in terms of identity theft or just 
making up different identities, uh, you find out that this is something that's, in a lot of ways, an obsession of his. This is his, to, his career. It's his career to impersonate teenagers or or kids or something, so he can get into these uh, these facilities. So the police end up, you know, I don't want to say apprehend. They end up, you know, putting him in the squad car. They take him to a children's shelter. They interview him. He's not saying a whole lot. They're trying to get in. He looks at like a map and he sees the United States. And so he just. You're kind of jumping ahead ahead here, Mike. Yeah. Uh, They're wanting to identify him. And they're basically saying, if you want to stay here, you need identification. We need to be able to identify who you are. So then he realizes, and he's narrating this whole thing. Like he's narrating it. Uh, so deliberately and thoroughly, like this man had a plan. He just got off, not in a sexual way, mind you. None of this is sexual or pedophilic or anything. No, he just re- he almost had like the Michael Jackson syndrome. Like he just didn't want to grow up. He wanted to always be a child and have that. Whatever. Well, I think I think it's because he never really had. Yeah. Whatever t- was taken away from him as a teen, any of that, which we'll yeah. never know what was taken away because he's you can't be trusted as far as you could throw the guy. But no. he wanted to live this childhood, so he wanted to stay in this children's shelter. So he thought, I need to get an identity. I need to find a missing child. If I find someone who's missing, I can say I'm that person. So he sees the United States and he he sees, um, you know, uh, he says, I'm an American. Yeah, that's what he tells him. Yeah. He goes, I, I, I'm, see, see, I'm an American. Yeah. And they go, OK, I would. Well, who are you? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I, I'll give you all the answers you want tomorrow. No, what he says is because uh, I wasn't actually I was actually going to continue on after what i was saying so i wasn't necessarily ahead because i was going to talk about how you know he was looking for a new identity and everything and the, and he was brought in and then he saw the america he saw a map and he thought in his head okay uh i'm just gonna say you know i'm an american and that's that's that i'm from america and not gonna say that many lines not going to say that many words. Just going to say I'm a fr- I'm from America, and then he said, "I, I, I need you to leave me in the office overnight, and I'll give you the answer as to you know who I am and 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 who to contact tomorrow." Yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, that, that I was trying to figure out how he ended up in the office, and and that's that that's how it went down. So yeah. And they let him just stay in this office. Yeah. And so fucking uh, detective uh what's his name? The what the guy who could form all the things out of paper clips and gum and shit. What's that guy's name? Uh I don't remember that guy. You know what I'm talking about the consul general? No, the it was that is a fictional on TV. Oh, MacGyver. Yeah, MacGyver. Yeah, so, so I, I had a. <laughs> I thought you were talking about a character no, no, in the, in, I had, an actual person in the documentary. No, I had a complete brain fart. So this fucking <laughs> MacGyver is in this office, and he starts calling up all these police departments in America, 
He gets the number. He, you know, he start. I like the editing here where they take clips from like old uh, cop yeah, shows. Yeah, of these co- of these like detectives answering the phone, being like yeah. detective blah blah speaking. You know, detective Columbo. Yeah, one of them is even uh, Kolchak. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Telly Savalas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he starts cold calling all these police departments, and he's like, "Hey." I mean, Kojak, not Kolchak. And he's pretending <laughs> that he works for the Spanish embassy. And he's like, we have a missing child here. Uh, he's American. You know, do you have any missing persons that, you know, blah, blah. And they're like, well, we have hundreds of missing children. You know, could you narrow it down for us? And then they go in and give him a contact uh, information for phone calls for uh centers that deal with missing uh missing kids. Ex- and exploited children and he's like uh okay this kid's american he's been missing for 3 years and then finally someone goes well there's this kid Nicholas Barclay from San Antonio Texas who's been missing since 1994 it was 1997 at the time and he goes oh that's him that's who we have right here can you fax me over a picture of the kid yeah and so they they do. They fax over. It's black and white. And he's looking at the picture. Can't, can't still can't quite tell how the kid looks because uh, it's black and white. And he goes, "Yep, that yeah. that's him." You know. So they overnight him essentially a a packet of information which now has a colored, very good you know eight yeah. by ten headshot of the kid. And he goes, "Oh my god, I don't look anything like this kid." This Nicholas Barclay is blonde hair, blue eye. They, he did have a gap in his tooth. That was the one thing he had going for him. But he's like, I don't look anything like this kid. But what other choice do I have? I have to at least try. Like that's like. But they also have uh, in that pack uh, more information uh, to uh, confirm Barclay's identity, like the fact that he has a particular uh, series of tattoos and other things like that. So he actually has somebody who was in the juvenile facility or something, who knew how to do tattoos, like jailhouse kind of tattoos. Yeah, just like the stick and poke. Has her do uh, those tattoos uh, on his body to continue the ruse. Um, but the ruse, like the the, the extreme lengths of his um, fraud goes even further than that. I mean, he's the one on the phone. Right. Calling. Right. Talking about this kid who's in the in the uh, phone booth or whatever initially. And what we don't know as the audience at this point is that this man has done this multiple times before Nicholas yep. Barclay. So he has some experience in conning and manip- manipulating people. Mm-hmm. So... He's able to pull all this off. He's able to, and he has this just—it's just a smarmy charm about. Yes, him. it is. It, that yeah, it, it is a smarmy, swarmy, swarmy, smarmy. Sw- is it swarmy or smarmy? Smarmy. That's an awkward word. Yeah, it, I know it, it, it is. is a smarmy charm. It is because he's <laughs> he's doing this this little this uh, skeezy little grin all throughout the time yeah. that he's being interviewed. Like he's like, ha ha. What do you think about that? But, you know, I guess it's coupled with his accent because it's this real, you know, it's this, the accent's kind of chill. Well, it's also, it's his personality. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he, you could tell he's no, uh, he, he's no, no stranger in front of a camera. He's not nervous in front of being, like, he's not nervous being filmed in front of a camera. He's performing even as he's being he interviewed. He loves it. Oh, yeah. He, he, he loves it. He's loves an actor. Yeah. 
So he gives the the Spanish, you know, children's shelter the information that they're looking for, and that causes them to then reach out to the United States. Um, was it Philip French, the consul general, U.S. Embassy in Spain? Yes. So then this Philip French guy contacts the U.S. Uh, they contact Special Agent Nancy Fisher and say, hey, we got this uh, Nicholas Barclay. Uh, you know, they, they, they say it's him, blah, blah, blah. Nancy gets in contact with Carrie and Beverly, the family of Nicholas Barclay, and they say, hey, we found your son. He's in Spain. They're like, oh, my God, it's been three years. You know, what's happened to him? His sister, Carrie, gets on one of the first flights out to Spain. So now this man, who is yet unidentified, is... The imposter, he doesn't know that she's going to go, that she's deciding to go this right. far. He doesn't really know what he's even getting himself into. He just wants to stay at this shelter. But come to find out, the sister is actually going to come out and, and wants to take him back to America. Because, you know... Hey, we found our brother, son, whatever, you know, it's been missing for three years. So she flies out to Spain to reconnect with her brother, her long lost brother. And so he sees this and then he realizes this is another opportunity for him. At, well, after to, he gets over his initial fear, well, yeah. because at first he's well, like, of course, he's like, what have yeah. I done? Oh, shit. Well, yeah. So that's when he but then, that's when he really starts going into I need to make myself look as much like this kid as yeah. possible. That's when he gets the tattoos. Uh, he, it, Nicholas had like he dyes his hair. Yeah, Nicholas had like this T or this cross on on his uh, between his thumb and his uh, uh, index finger, so he gets that tattooed in the same way. He dyes his hair blonde. This guy is clearly, uh, I think he's like uh, Algerian and uh, what French or something. Yeah. He does not look Caucasian at all. Nicholas Barclay no. is a Caucasian white boy, blue eyes, blonde hair. This guy looks nothing like a Caucasian. Uh, you know, he... Well, cleverly, though, you know, he puts on sunglasses, puts on a scarf, you right. know, He's, he, 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 to cover up his, his lower half of his face. He almost is doing a Michael Jackson, like when Michael Jackson would go out in public and he'd cover yeah. himself all up and shit. It almost reminded me of that. He's got the hat on. He's got the hood over it. You know, he's he's, he's going... Just full-on to... Unabomber, like fucking yeah. hoodie and aviator glasses. Uh, and, you know, he's like... I, again, he's like, I, I need to at least give it a try. So, because he's never been out of uh, out of Spain. Well, out of Europe, he's been at or France, Europe, he's been yeah, out of Spain. He hasn't been. He's been out of Spain. I meant. I meant actually, uh, Europe, no. He, so he, he actually come to find out, he, he did. He was in Canada at one point. He's never been to America. Okay, <laughs> so he's never been to America. Yes. There we go. So, the sister finally ends up after a long, tireless flight and drive. She ends up at this children's shelter. She is downstairs. He is upstairs. A knock comes on the guy's door. The door opens. They go, hey, your sister's downstairs waiting to meet you. Now is the moment of truth. He's pacing around nervously in his room. For 10 minutes, he paces around. until He even looks out the window for a little bit. Finally. Down at her. The moment comes where he goes downstairs. And... She sees him, and she wraps him up in in her arms. Yep. And she's like, oh, my God, we've missed you so much. 
I love you. I can't believe it. And he is just like, I, uh, oh, oh, uh, what? They, yeah. they think it's, they think it's him. They think it's Nicholas yep. Barclay. They think it's, well, that, the kid. The initial, the initial moment, I don't really blame the sister for. Cause this is something where it's like, you want it to be true so much that reality and the truth of the situation that doesn't come into play. It's just all of this emotion. It's just, you get caught up in that wave and you, you just, you just forget all those other, all those things. Yeah. You're just, uh, you just become enveloped in this idea that, it is Nicholas. Pa- uh, facts just become pesky at that at that point. Yeah, uh, but but I mean, she's even like stretching things, like you know, oh, touches his nose, like oh, I know it's you, you, you know, your uncle has the same nose or something like yeah, that. Yeah, she's you talking know? about how I, I couldn't believe how much he your looked, uncle Pat. He, he looked like my uncle. Yeah, and yeah. so she's showing him all these pictures, and she's like, "You remember this, right?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah," and you know. She's showing him pictures of the mom, and he's like, oh, mom's gained some weight, and, you know, uh, and she's looking at his hand, and she sees the cross on his hand, the same one that her brother had, and she's like, you know, oh, wow, this is great, blah, blah, but before he's allowed to leave... She's coaching him. Yeah, essentially, I mean, you could look at it that way. I mean, there are two different schools of thought on that one, but... But then again, you know... At the same time, maybe she wasn't initially coaching him because it might have been one of those things where it's like trying to jog his right, memory, right? Because because that's a normal thing to do, and considering that she's hearing that he was abused, they don't know what know, happened. He to was him. sex trafficked or something, so that's they don't know exactly what happened to the state of the sex trafficking or the abuse, but they do know that you know he went through a lot, so that's why you know. Oh, and they even said, I think they even might have told the sister ahead of time, like, he doesn't remember a whole lot, so da-da-da-da-da. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, so she, you know, all they're thinking is, he's been gone for three years uh, in Spain. He's probably going to talk different. He's probably going to look different. You know, you can grow up, you, you can have several growth spurts in that in that time in your life. And those. But an accent? Well, you know, <laughs> he gets to his explanation of that. So before he's allowed to leave Spain and enter the United States, they they interview him because they're not the uh, Spanish consul is not convinced that this is Nicholas. So they show him five pictures. They lay them down on the table and they're like, "You have to identify these people." And he had already been fed this information by carry his supposed sister before this even happened yeah so he was able to get he really lucked out oh yeah he lucked out in a lot of instances on this like it was that i can totally see why they made a a documentary about this because all the 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 pieces that had to have just fell in place for this to work out the way it did he was able to identify four out of the five pictures and even though he got the fifth one wrong they were already convinced it was nicholas barclay they said all right you're nicholas barclay Enjoy, you know, enjoy the United States. See you later. So he gets on the plane and the sister's talking the whole time about how he he's not talking much. He's not saying anything, but it was like a comforting silence. It was like, he's back. That's all I care about. And of course, the reason why he's not saying anything is because he has a thick French accent and he doesn't know these fucking people at all. 
Any no. words he says is a further way he could implicate himself as not being this person. Well, I mean, even when he first supposedly talked to his sister over the phone, because she's all doing this whole, I love you, I love you, I miss you, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And he he spoke, like, far away. He was just I like, I love you. Love, love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and you know phones. And she's like, "Was that Nicholas?" And just like, and then he does his, you know, fake uh, social worker voice, like, "Yes, it was Nicholas." You know, <laughs> uh, yeah, he conned her so hard with the with the social worker. Like, she actually thought, like, "Oh, this is a social worker. You know, it's all this information. You know, trying to help." Yeah. I didn't think for one second it was this 23-year-old uh, professional imposter. So they he gets, they land in, they get back to San Antonio, and now is the big moment. And they even have... They have more home video. They have more yeah. home video footage of this. He's coming off the plane. He has to meet the family. This, he is so nervous and, and shaken at this point. He doesn't know what he got himself into. He meets the family... Everybody accepts him as Nicholas Barclay, as the son yep. who's been missing for three years. They all just, no questions asked. I mean, yes, they have some questions, but then the big explanation comes. Then it finally comes out what Nicholas has been through for the past three years. He was captured, he was playing basketball, and then he was chloroformed, and that was the last thing he remembered. Then he remembers... English military, like some other military. There was like three. Yeah, he woke up in like a facility somewhere with other kids, other, other boys. They were they were raped daily. They were molested. They were they were fed insects. <laughs> they were fed insects. They were o- only allowed to speak Spanish. They weren't allowed to speak English at all for three years. He wasn't allowed to speak English. Uh, they were tortured because they were uh, stolen or abducted children. They were doing all these experimental things on them, like putting uh, dye in their eyes so their eye color would be different. Yeah, so they'd be harder to identify. Which is stuff that Nazis actually did. They would do things to try to dye people's eyes really? uh, blue. Really? Yeah, I did not know that. The Nazis did a lot of fucked oh, up. Crazy I know they shit did in terms of the experiments on human beings like there's there's a lot out there for what they tried to do they tried to do a lot of sick shit i remember an experiment they did which is really sick and twisted where they decided to test what would happen on newborn babies if with a certain group of newborn babies is given attention and affection and all of that as well as being fed versus a group of newborn newborn babies who get food but don't get any sort of affection or any sort of uh, contact. And what they found out through that is that without contact, those babies died. Wow. Even though they got fed, they died because there was no uh, interaction with, uh, with, with, uh, with other humans. Wow. That's cr- I mean, I thought you were going to go in a lot sicker direction because when I think of sick Nazi experimentations, I can think of like. Well, I mean, that's a sick, that's a psychological torture of babies. And it's literally just letting them die. Yeah. So it's pretty fucking sick. I mean, sick. it is, but I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> shit, man. I mean, like the kind of. They've done some really bad stuff too. I mean, the, the Japanese did some 
fucked up shit too. Like there's a movie called Men Behind the Sun, which is based on this group of uh, Japanese uh, like sick fucks who experimented on people and did all kinds of just horrible shit. So um, there's even a documentary about it. It's some kind of like secret group or whatever that was doing this shit. I forgot the name yeah. of it, but. Any, anyway, yeah, so they did other experiments. <laughs> like, he's talking about how they put headphones on him and the other kids, and they would have repeated messages that would say things like, you are not you. Right, so after explaining all this, the, the you know, kind of simpleton redneck family was like, well, damn, that explains everything. No, no further questions, Your Honor. They broke his hand, you know, they broke his uh, hand with a baseball bat. They broke his fingers. So, this... Which explains, which is an explanation that that, uh, the imposter came up with to explain his own issues. Because he was limping around and had a... I think he had a broken hand or something like that. So that's how he was able to explain that. He was very uh, good at thinking on the spot. Yeah. So, the imposter lived with the family for almost five months until March 6th of 1998. And they talk about things like how the imposter, uh, Nicholas, like how they took him for a drive, when, like the drive home where they're just playing music and everyone's feeling good and great. And, and then, you know, during this five-month period, uh, apparently, you know, things started to become as if they really did buy into the fact that he was Nicholas. He started going uh, to sister, he started going to school. You know, he yeah, got on the school bus this, as a, uh-huh. as like a twenty three year old sitting there yeah. with amongst a bunch of teenagers. And his narration is talking about how like this is a great moment. Like it was just such a uh, wonderful moment in his life that he was going to high school um, in America. Yeah. Uh, and the way he's he narrates it, it's almost as if it's like a hero- heroic moment, you know? <laughs> it's like a coming-of-age movie, and it was like, I finally, you know, I'm going to do things right, you know? Um, but, yeah, what really stood out was, like, just how quickly they uh, welcomed him into the family. You know, the, what was it, the, was it the step, like, who was the older guy? Uh, was it uh, that, that was Nicholas? That was Nicholas's uh, bro- yeah, brother-in-law is Brian. Brian yeah. Gibson, you know, driving around in his truck, and <clears throat> you know, he was going to school, and he was hanging out with the other teenagers locally, and you know, doing things like a normal teenager would, you know, skateboarding, doing all these other things. Had a crush on a girl, you know. It, it, it's he totally fell into the role of Nicholas Barclay. When he got back, um, though, uh, the special agent for the FBI, Nancy Fisher, she was like, okay, when a- as soon as you can, let's get Nicholas in so I can interview him as soon as possible because we need to find out what happened to him, who was responsible, you know, so we can open a case yeah, on this. And that and that's where we found the the bulk of the information that we mentioned earlier about the in, eating insects and all these other yeah. things is from his meeting with yeah. her. And and after he explains all this to her, she was just shaken because she's also skeptical. She's also skeptical. She's shaken in the sense that 
kids in this situation or people in general just aren't able to make up such in-depth, yeah. uh, specific means of torture and scenarios uh-huh. that this guy was able to do. So she said, this person was either thoroughly victimized or is a great actor. And I wasn't sure yeah. which. And she already had her suspicions, though, when she first saw him. Because she knows Nicholas Barclay is blonde and is supposed to be, what was it, 16 or something like that. Uh, he's supposed to be a teenager. And she's like, he has a... F- thick five o'clock shadow you know it's dark right a dark beard i mean anybody who's not uh completely dim in the head would have fucking suspicions but not this, not all not the gibson family or the barclay family that's i think i i buy into the theory that at a certain point they just wanted to believe that it was nicholas and then i think at another point they wanted to. They wanted to have other people believe it was Nicholas for other reasons. Yeah. So then, maybe not everyone involved in the family. I think there are some. Ins- I think there is some evidence or some proof. Guys, you wouldn't. You wouldn't believe would this suggest. before the podcast. But Mike. Mike actually said the words. I'm going to let you run with this segment, Josh. You wouldn't think. Hey, you have. You have run with. What? You're the one that's running. I feel like you're interjecting every two words to add more detail. I'm not. (laughs) I'm like trying to like get something across. It's like, oh, and also uh, he was in the truck. And it's like, (laughs) I understand you're enthusiastic for this. I am too, Mike. That's why I thank Joel from our Patreon for suggesting it. Yeah. It's it's, we're, we're, we're both. You're the one that has like the better memory of what happens in terms of, I'm just adding a few things, other things. It's like, we're both ravenous, uh, uh, coyotes. And there's this like (laughs) raw piece of meat and we're both just dancing around (laughs) it right now. Like, ah, we both want to take bites out of it. Um, well that makes for a good podcast. I feel like I would hope so. So anyway, around this time is when local private investigator Charlie Parker got involved. And boy, this is a homegrown Texas boy. If I ever, it's like Wilfred Brimley combined with like uh, Colonel Sanders. Like this guy, this is old, old dude. But I, I don't know. I liked his personality. I like the cut of his jib. Yeah. Uh, he got involved because, of course, with a story like this. You know, local, at least local press is going to get involved. In late 1997, um, uh, this uh, Charlie Parker, the private investigator, was working with a TV crew that had been filming the family. The investigator at that time was actually able, as he was watching the imposter get interviewed, there happened to be a picture of the real Nicholas Barclay in front of him. Well, he was hired by the, the the news agency originally to get some more information and to set up an interview with uh, Nicholas to to get him to do that. And uh, he remembered when he first met with Nicholas, he was you know, and I, and I think it wasn't just Nicholas. I mean, it wasn't just the investigator. It was also, I think, maybe the FBI gal. Yes, like she was saying things like, "Don't yeah, go in front of the camera." I'll, I'll, no, I'll get to I'll know. get to that. So as Charlie Parker is looking at this picture of Nicholas and he's looking at the imposter, he's like, you know, something just is not adding up here. And then finally he he starts studying his ears because he had read a while back. That's how Interpol uh, was able to. It was the Scotland Yard. Oh, Scotland Yard. Yeah, it was the Scotland Yard because Interpol is the 
is what you find out. Uh, the, the imposter, is, is, he's wanted by Interpol. Okay, right. You're so, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got those two. So anyway, Scotland Yard had used this technique of identifying people by their ears back when um, the assassination of Martin Luther King happened and James Earl Ray fled to uh, tried to flee to London or wherever, and they were actually able to identify him as James Earl Ray by his ears because your ears are, are basically as unique as your fingerprint. Nobody, No two ears look exactly the same. And they even show the, in the reenactment, which was fucking fantastic how they did it, they yes. showed the picture of Nicholas Barclay's ears and then this other guy's ears, and they are completely different. Yeah. And that, he says, I opened up Photoshop. And I put the ear, the two photos in there and zoomed in and they were completely different. There was no way that uh, this man was Nicholas Barkley. And at that point, that's when he called the FBI special agent Nancy Fisher and said, hey, his ears are different. And she's like, you know, kind of like, what the hell is he talking about? And she's like, well, hey, you know what? Don't don't go to the media with this because if if there is something going on, if if this guy's story is true, I don't want any other uh, like military or government officials to know that we're investigating them. That was actually before, because that's the whole thing about with the she didn't want him to go public on TV. Yeah. Well. Whatever. Anyway. That's what I was. I was actually in order. (laughs) Whatever. But you, so, get, you, but, you, you know, you, I, I get, I get, I get what you get, mean. Everyone out there, you get what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, it's starting to come unraveled. Is is basically the Absolutely. overlying point here? So what happens is uh, Nicholas is uh, he does the interview, and you could tell this. You know, uh, Frederick is just, he's just loving this. He's in front of a camera. You know, he's just having a blast telling his story and it's a great news story which is and it definitely is something that is going to catch a lot of people's attention um sadly the original disappearance of nicholas barkley didn't catch anyone's attention in the news but the reappearance of nicholas barkley now that's newsworthy um but so the FBI uh, agent, um, what's her name, uh, Nancy Fisher, she gets a hold of a uh, man who is a uh, forensics ex- He's expert. a forensic therapist. Yeah, he's a forensic therapist. And she brings n- the n- Nicholas, which we Qu- know, quote find un- out, Quote unquote Frederick. Nicholas. So it brings in the imposter Nicholas to uh, her friend at uh, is it is it the Texas Children's Hospital guy? Maybe it's Bruce pa- Bruce Perry. I think it might be him. So he has him do a interview of sorts with uh, this Nicholas to really kind of determine whether or not the story that he's telling has uh, validity to it. Or that he is who he says that he is. And so what he discovers is, because this is a guy who's well known for uh, being able to discover different ticks and different uh, ways to prove whether or not a story of abuse it has uh, truth to it. Yeah, he was talking to Nicholas, uh, the imposter Nicholas, and Nicholas was going through his story, and... Um, 
Bruce was Bruce Perry was noting how he was able to just go through this story of this torture and these hor- horrific events and the body language was calm there was no dilation of the pupils there was no there was no body language that a typical person who survived all that trauma would exhibit unintentionally he was very calm cool and collected as he was casually recounting this story of this torture and then the second and most damning red flag was his French accent. Now, yeah. he was explaining from, you know, when you're born to pretty much age four or five. I think it was like six or seven. Okay, so let's just say six or seven. Your accent for the first language you speak, unless you're brought up bilingual or trilingual, whatever, unless you're brought up equally speaking Spanish and English or whatever. If you're brought up speaking, you know, whatever your your home tongue is, that is the accent that you were going to pretty much have your entire life, especially if you made it to age 14, which is the age Nicholas was when he got yeah. abducted. 13. 13, whatever. So, so to try to sell the fact that... They made him, they forbid him from speaking English. He could only speak Spanish that whole time. And he could not get rid of his Spanish or French accent. That was the thing that that just overwhelmingly told the forensic therapist that this is, this is not Nicholas Barclay because that just, you can't yeah. do that. That's He was basically saying, you know, this is bullshit. Like, th- like okay, that's like saying... Uh, if I go to England for, and there, I've seen this sometime. When there's, some, uh, I think it was Madonna, didn't she? Did, she had some cr- cringy yeah. shit. I feel like it was in the '90s where she moved to uh, England for a few years and she adopted like this slight like British accent, and it was just super cringy. And it's not, it's not that just doesn't really happen. It can happen, but it's uh, you know, I, I it's just rare. So if it does happen, though, it's not going to be uh, as, let's just say, uh, as natural sounding yeah. as uh, Frederick's French It, it reminds is. me of the Frederick Valentic case, uh, the uh, Australian UFO, when uh, Frederick Valentic yeah. got, you know, uh, no one knows what happened to him, but his father was interviewed in that segment, and his father, uh, you could tell, was of some kind of Jewish ancestry. He was like a... Probably uh-huh. some kind of an immigrant to Australia. And so he had this thick Yiddish accent, but it had this tinge of Australian to it. You know, he, uh, I don't know where Frederick is. It, uh, it's not right. We can't find my son. It was this weird, like, yeah. kind of, like, very. So that's the closest that's you're going to get. That's the closest you're going to get. Gonna like it's going to be a tinge yeah. of it, but you're still going to. This guy for being supposedly raised in America for 13 years, had a straight-up, legitimate French-Spanish accent. He sounded like Jean-Claude Van Damme. (laughs) He could not speak American... He could not talk with an American accent if he tried. And that's just not possible. And I guess he's not a good enough actor, though. I mean, Hugh Laurie can speak with an American accent. Now, see, that's... And you can't really tell the difference. That's a curious case, because uh, I wonder if it's... uh, If they're close enough... In uh, like the, like we speak the same language, but our accents are different. If it's possible, but like if it's a totally foreign language, because we we are used to si- using the same phonemes and 
pronunciations yeah. as British people and Australian people, but our our pronunciations are different and the accents slightly mm-hmm. different. So I think in in that case, when like say like if a Mexican is trying to copy a Spaniard's accent or an Argentinian is trying to copy a Puerto Rican accent, because they're all speaking Spanish. Uh, are they able to do to mimic that better than say an English person trying to mimic a a perfect Puerto Rican accent? I don't know. Anyway, I don't know. Well, I mean, there, there's di- differences in the, in those uh, particular languages as well. Um, but yeah, apparently though, uh, this uh, forensic therapist and the FBI agent and the PI, they aren't the only ones that knew that it wasn't Nicholas. Uh, his uh, brother actually uh saw him and the brother was the only one who did not from the very get-go think it was him at all and all he said to him was good luck buddy (laughs) yeah the older brother was just like good luck (laughs) yeah good luck you weird french motherfucker who is clearly (laughs) not the brother that i may or may not have killed oh i'm skipping ahead um so no but just how nonchalantly he was just like good luck not like, you know, who the hell do you think right. you are? Yeah, very weird. But then come to find out Jason was like a hardcore drug addict, so he could have been high as a kite yeah. when he said that, you know, like yeah. drug addicts don't tend to care about these kind of things as passionately as someone who's sober minded. So what happens after that is they fly back from this uh, children's hospital in Texas. Nancy yeah. Fisher then communicates what Bruce Perry has told her about how there's no way this can be Nicholas Barclay. He, she communicates this to Carrie, the sister who flew out to Spain. She says, you know, hey, the forensic therapist's conclusion was there's no way this is Nicholas, you know, and Carrie gasped over the phone. She couldn't believe it. And uh, Nancy was like, don't worry, you don't have to keep him in your house. Uh, you know, we'll, 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 you know, do something with them, but we'll take we'll care, take of, care it. of it. She flies back with the imposter back to, uh, uh, where the f- San Antonio. Well, she actually sees him. See, uh, cause what happens is Nancy is there in the airport and she sees Carrie excited and happy to see Nicholas. Right. They get back to the airport. Sees them embrace. Yeah, they they get back to the airport, and uh, Carrie sees the imposter Nicholas and just embraces them like that phone conversation never even happened with Nancy Fisher, the FBI agent. And and Nancy's sitting here going, what the fuck? Yeah. I I just told her that this is not Nicholas, and and she's acting like I I never we never even had that conversation. And at that point, and then you have an interview with uh, Carrie, and she's like, "Well, I don't remember hearing it." No, she goes, "I don't quite remember like it being that. put that way." And well, I don't remember it being put that way. It's like that that really raised a lot of suspicion for me. Like that particular moment. That's when like things like went from crazy to crazier where you're just like what so then nancy the fbi agent is like something's going on here the reason why they're taking this person in is because they're hiding something but what that is i don't know yet so then they start you got charlie parker they start demanding that we want a dna test to figure out conclusively if this is nicholas they go to the mom's house, Beverly, 
whose last name, by the way, is Dollar Hyde. I thought you might get a kick out of that, Dollar Hyde. Yeah, because it's the it's the name of uh, the the character in uh, Red Dragon, you know, the book and the movie with Anthony Hopkins, the prequel to Silence of the Lambs. The uh, the actor uh, Ray Fiennes played the character Francis Dollarhide, yeah. so it was the main antagonist. So in the in that film, they they go to uh, get Beverly to give up a sample of her DNA so they can compare it against fake Nicholas. Beverly lays down on the floor and goes, you are not going to take me anywhere. You're not getting my DNA. That's my son. I don't need to take any tests to prove that he's my son. Yeah. And at that point, she's really like, whoa, okay. And then you got an interview with her, and then she's all like, I, I, I don't even know what she was trying she sa- to say. She said, she goes, she goes, at that time, it was my, basically, my goal was to not think. I just didn't want to think, and that was my main objective was to not think. She's like, I don't remember doing that, but I, I was I was not in my right state of See, mind. See, here's the thing, where she says, like, I don't remember doing that. So if we go into the go a little further ahead with the whole theory that the older brother Jason and the mother had something to do with the disappearance or death of Nicholas, she could have done something while she was on drugs provided by Jason. And doesn't fucking remember it. Yeah. Or she has bits and pieces in her mind, but she just buries them so far down because it's too traumatic for her. At this point, imposter Nicholas is starting to even get suspicious. He even said... Yeah, he's he's getting creeped out. He even out. says in, in, <laughs> in the uh, documentary, he's like, you don't have to be Columbo to figure out what happened here. He's like, uh, he's like Jason, the older brother, murdered, uh, murdered Nicholas, and the whole family knows about it. And then he starts going, and I love how they do this in the documentary. He's like, then I start thinking back to when Carrie first came to Spain, and she's telling me who these people are. She's not asking me who they are. She's telling me who all these people in these pictures are. I'm able to pass this test. I go home. Nobody questions anything, almost because it's like, they know they can't question it because they all know that Nicholas shouldn't be found because Nicholas is dead. So when people are calling up and, he, and he's saying yeah. that we found Nicholas, what are they going to do? Say, you can't have found Nicholas because we killed him and he's dead. So yeah. they have to and take this guy t- in. And then they also talk about, he also mentions, uh, goes back to what he was saying earlier. Like, I was worried, like, what if the real Nicholas came home? In a, and I was worried about that happening. And then and then when he reveals his theory as to what happened to Nicholas, he's like, well, I wasn't worried about that anymore. Yeah, I wasn't worried about uh, him coming home anymore. And at that point, I feel like he kind of starts becoming um, just kind of nonplussed by the whole situation. Yeah, he's, he wants yeah. out. So Charlie Parker, Mr. Old Texas, private investigator, Meets up with him at a at a Waffle House or something to interview him further, and he goes, uh, you know, all, all this stuff's making your mom real upset. And at that point, he finally goes, "That ain't my mom." Yeah, that's not my mom. And at that <laughs> yeah. point, Charlie Parker goes, "Well, how the hell do you like that?" or something like that. Yeah, and then and then he finds out through uh, the. Uh, information that the FBI was able to obtain 
uh, the real identity. Because they're finally able to of, fr- uh, fingerprint them or something, right? Like, Yep. And at that point, we get the motherfucker's actual name. His actual name is Frederick Borden. Mm-hmm. And then they also get the long rap sheet of all the various personas and aliases that he's had. And turns out so this guy... I actually have a script. Go for it. So we have uh, Frederick Bourdain is a delinquent. Activities and modus operandi. He has traveled throughout Europe, appearing at shelters for minors under different aliases. Spain, 1992. Spain, September 1993. Barcelona stated that he'd run away from his adoptive parents' house. Brussels, 95. Pyrenees, Milan, 1993. Glasgow. I sat there. I could hardly eat. I could hardly swallow my food. He always wore glasses. Giovanni Petrullo, Michelangelo Martini, Donovan McNeff, Peter Sampson, William Thomas, Jimmy Sale, Peter Robin, James Markey, Frederick Cassis, 93, Hernandez Fernandez, 95, Edgar Gutierrez, 97, Spain, 1997. It's possible that he may need psychiatric help. Uh, So, yeah, it's just all these fucking names. It's just an insane amount of names and aliases. And at that point, that's when they arrest him and they take him in and you know the 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 jig is essentially up but as they're doing that he implicates the family in the murder of Nicholas Barclay saying that Jason the uh brother uh murdered him now they try to interview Jason about this, but they can't because, like, four days previously, he overdosed on drugs and died. Which, which to me, sounds really... I understand, yes, he just got her out of rehab, and there is a lot of... There's a percentage, a fairly high percentage of, of suicides that happen when people get out of rehab. It just sounds... It, it, it just sounds like... It has all the marks of someone who... They know something... And that's why they relapse, and that's why they kill themselves, is because they realize, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, they're gonna come yeah, for I'm me, caught. and I, I don't want, I don't want to deal with that. The jig is up. So he's just gonna kill himself. I mean, I mean, it could, you know, it could not be the case, but I mean, mm. it sounds like there could be some validity to this theory as to uh, the disappearance of Nicholas and his death. Uh, and how it involved something to do with his older brother. His older brother was a drug addict. He was dealing drugs to his mom. He That was the last place that Nicholas was living in, was in, the, in a home with his older brother. Apparently there was a history of disputes and disagreements and, and uh, at least verbal abuse. So... I mean, this is this is a home where he had gotten his his mother addicted to drugs. Uh, from another source, it seems like, I mean, there's a possibility that the mother, when she was supposed to get give the uh, DNA test, Beverly, she didn't do it because she might have been back on drugs. Yeah, and um. <clears throat> Sorry, lost my train of thought. <laughs> Brain fart. 
but yeah, like, why the fuck was I gonna go with that? God damn it! This is good. Well, I mean, there was the thing with Beverly. She was uh, given a polygraph. No, it's true. She passed it two different times, but then they did a third polygraph, and she failed every single thing. Like, here's the thing: polygraphs aren't really the most reliable. But when you fail like everything, and like everything goes like haywire, that's pretty suspicious if you ask me. So you failed everything. Like every question was a fail the third time around, as if she was just saying nothing but a, a, a giant lie. And then she's interviewed later, and she's like, "Well, I, 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 got, I said so. I, I, I lied about stealing something." And that's what caused, you know, the the uh, lie detector result to, to be as bad as it was. I don't know anything about what, I, you know, I, I didn't have anything to do with the death of Nicholas or don't know anything about that. Well, then Charlie Parker, the private uh, investigator, he it, 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 for this documentary, he actually finds the current owner of Jason's house, the last place. Such a fucking cliffhanger! I don't know. I what, know. I want to know what happened. Like, what did he? I don't find? think they found anything. I think that's why it, it yeah. ended the way it did. Oh, yeah. another thing I did want to mention. Uh, you know, the whole thing about you know Jason was into drugs and 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 uh you know Nicholas could have been involved in that too and then that could have led to some foul play another thing about it is like you you don't exactly get fucking stick and poke style shitty tattoos when you're only 13 years old yeah i you know, that that's just kind yeah. of like a indicator that this is a street kid to a certain extent uh-huh so i mean it's it just it's very it's a very viable I angle mean, to a, me. There's a theory that the kid could have just uh, ran into the wrong crowd as he ran away and then got killed. Yeah, I mean, any of that kind of stuff could have happened. I mean, definitely, you know, but I mean, you, you know. Or you could have had the older brother, you know, in a drug-fueled <laughs> Could have been an rage. argument between the two. You know, he could have, Nicholas could have stolen something or vice versa. I mean, anything could have happened, but, yeah. but you know... Charlie Parker becomes convinced that Nicholas's body is buried behind the backyard of the house that Jason used to live in. So he goes there with a shovel, and the current homeowner lets him back there, and the current homeowner is even nice enough to dig up this back yeah. area where they suspect... And he's even talking, he's like hyping it up. Oh, yeah. He's like, it's all like a piece of tarp back there. Yeah. And, you know... I tried to pull it out, but it just came out in pieces, and you're just like, oh my god, you know? Yeah, what's going to happen? What are they going to find? And and yeah, I mean, as the movie concludes, they don't find anything. So there, there's no body. The The family is is super pissed off at... Fre I mean, even have... This is a quote from Carrie. You know, she's talking about, you know, uh, the, uh, the imposter. She's like, he's a habitual liar. It blows my mind that anybody can take anything what is said out of his mouth as truth. What, this kid comes and says he's Nicholas and then turns around and says, you, these people that took care of me, killed him? Hmm. How do you come up with that conclusion? He put us through enough already, and then for him to do this while he's in jail for what he's done? It caused more pain to our family? Fuck him. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if that's what if that's how it really happened, then yeah, fuck him, you know? I mean, and then you actually have a quote from the imposters. Like, I didn't give a damn what other people were thinking or what they were feeling. I care about myself, just about myself. Which... I just fuck the rest yeah. of it. I mean, when that's... And then it, <laughs> then it cuts to him doing this Michael Jackson dance in jail. Yeah! 
Well, she was pretty good. He, he was, was busting actually. out the Michael Jackson moves, but the family, the and family has never. He, yeah, he, he did get uh, convicted of his uh, fraud. I'm trying to think. He got sentenced, I think, to it was passport uh, fraud and entering the country illegally or something like that. Yeah. And he got sentenced, I think, to six years. He was the maximum. Yeah, the was, maximum that you could have gotten for that, what, from what I was reading, was three years, and they doubled it because I guess they were really trying to, like, you know, give him. They were really trying to, you know, give him some kind of punishment for all. The- well, that didn't work because later he, when Bardeen was returned to France from the U.S. in 2003, he moved to Grenoble and assumed the identity of Leo Bailey, a 14-year-old French boy who had been missing since 1996. DNA testing proved he was not Bailey. In August 2004, he was in Spain. Even when he was in prison, he was calling up places. He was calling up like news organizations, giving them like tips that like about missing yeah. children or you know he, yeah. he was basically up to his same uh, scum fuckery. You even had Connie Chung. I yeah, think it was, it was Connie, Connie Chung. Chung. It's just like, why are you doing that? Yeah, and he just didn't really say anything. He just kind of, you know smirked or something i don't i don't fucking know yeah so in august 2004 he was in spain claiming to be an adolescent named ruben sanchez espinoza whose mother had been killed in the madrid bomb attacks when the police found out the truth they deported him to france in june of 2005 Bardeen passed himself off as francisco hernandez fernandez a 15 year old spanish orphan and spent a month in the college jane monette a junior high school in Pau, france he claimed that his parents had been killed in a car accident he dressed as a teenager, adopted a proper walking style, whatever that is, covered his receding hairline with a baseball <laughs> cap. This motherfucker got used, a receding hairline. I'm yeah, a teenager. And depilatory face creams. On June tw- uh, 12th, an administrator from his school unmasked him after seeing a television program about his exploits. On the 16th of September, he was sentenced to four months in prison for possessing and using the previous false identity of Leo Bailey. According to interviews, Bardeen had been looking for love and affection and attention he had never had received as a child. He had also pretended to be an orphan several times. So, uh, in August of 2007, he married a French woman named Isabel after a year-long court trip, courtship, because the documentary talks about this. The couple resides in France with their five children. On March 23, 2017, Bardeen apparently, though, made a Facebook post stating that Isabel had left him for another man claiming she had been unhappy for 10 years and very unhappy in recent months. He claims that she left him with their children. The status, though, of Isabel and the children is currently unknown. Hmm. According to the Daily Mirror, Bourdain claimed that he would never impersonate anyone again. Bourdain was interviewed in 2008 by David Gran, a staff writer for The New Yorker. After Isabel gave birth to their first child, Bourdain contacted Gran and told him that the child was a girl. Grand then asked if Bourdain had become a new person now that he was a father and a husband, to which Bourdain replied, no, this is who I am. Well, it's good you'd learn something, at least. And by learning something, I mean what... you learned nothing, and you're still yeah. a jackass. I'm wondering what happened with him and Isabel. I'm, I, don't, I don't know. His he's kids. probably a, a, a huge narcissist, and we know he's a sociopath, so she probably thought he'd just sucked as a human being after getting to know him. Yeah. But, you know... Ten years? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it was the kids, stay together for the kid type mentality. Yeah. I don't see him being a good Possibly. father, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't even know how to yeah. be a good person. So how is he going to know how to fa- like guide someone else? 
When so, what do you think happened to Nicholas Barclay? Um, I you know I I think uh I think it has something to do with the drugs. Honestly, I don't know who, yeah. but I think drugs were involved in his disappearance, and I think he's yeah. dead. I think he's and dead. I think too. it's drug related. I mean, definitely, I definitely. I think he's dead. Either you know his his older brother had something to do with it, or knew someone who had something to do with it. I mean, you know, they could have been selling drugs in that home. You know, could have been having Nicholas go around. You know, give some product to people in the neighborhood. Like you never, you don't know. Um, could have been part of a a a gang of of younger you know kids in the area that were you know helping sell sell the product and also you know get a little money on the side um uh, or something could have just happened to him when he just ran away again you know he, he apparently ran away a lot so it could have been just an instance where you know he just ran away ran into trouble on his way home from somebody and you know got killed and that's it i think he became rapper little peep All right, so uh, did you have anything else to add to this uh, this this saga? Um, not really. I mean, it's one of those things that that uh, I, I just pretty much said everything I wanted to say, other than my theories about what happened to Nicholas. I think uh, I definitely do think it's drug related, like you said. It could have had something to do with the family, but it is one of those things. Like if they did, were really covering it up, you would think that that would they would have been caught already. Like something would have came out already about everything. So yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it was a great case overall, and I mean, uh, we, we appreciate Joel for uh, the suggestion, and yes. uh, you know, if if you guys want us to take your suggestion super seriously, not just kind of seriously, uh, consider becoming a Patreon donor. Once again, that's uncover or Patreon dot com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Now, since it is the end of the uh, the New Year's, uh, we figure we'll give you uh, a double-stuffed, uh, well, this is already a, a damn double-stuffed podcast, uh, but we're going to give you more double-stuffedness with some uh, fan Q&A on our uh, Facebook uh, fan page. So that's yet, yet another reason to um, go and like the page. So we'll just go through here. Uh, as usual, uh, I will take one, and Chris Barclay will take the other. I mean, Mike, whatever your name is. Um, I almost called <laughs> Nicholas? you Nicholas. I almost called you Chris. <laughs> you didn't even use you. You didn't. Even I know, say Mike. Nicholas. It's fucked up on many levels. I realize that there's many layers to this fuckery. All right, the first one's for me, and it's from Chris Rogers. Uh, I should say Doctor Chris Rogers. Uh, he is a do- he has a doctorate in unsolved mysteries. Uh, if you have any questions, ask him because he knows he is all knowing in the in the field of unsolved mysteries. He asked Josh, "What are your favorite Depeche Mode songs and albums?" Uh, favorite Depeche Mode albums are Ultra, Songs of Faith and Devotion, Black Celebration, and M- Music for the Masses. Uh, favorite Depeche Mode songs are Rush, uh, Wrong, um, uh, 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 uh. uh home and i think I, those are just the first ones that come to enjoy the, the silence didn't they no, do that song that is not that is not one of my favorite depeche mode songs i am kind of tired of that even song. though you covered it <laughs> we covered it because it was the most well-known song and we figured it would be the most strategical song to cover by them uh that is why we covered that song that is by no means my favorite uh song by them do you at least still like it 
kind of. <laughs> I am really burnt out. They have so many better songs than that one. Uh, so I, I am actually kind of burnt out on that song, sadly. So the next question is from Joe Baxter. She, uh, she says, uh, Mike, I've been having a debate with my sister for years about the Die Hard movie. I say it's a Christmas movie, and she says it's not. Do you consider Die Hard to be a Christmas movie? Fuck yes. <laughs> it's a Christmas movie. I don't care what Bruce Willis said, whatever, you know, that's his opinion. It is a Die Hard. It is, it is a Bruce Willis movie, but it is also a Christmas movie. What, did he say it wasn't a Christmas yeah, movie? Yeah, he said it's not a Christmas movie. It's a fucking Bruce Willis movie, oh, you know. Um, just think about it. The movie opens up with a Christmas rap song by Run DMC. It takes place on Christmas Eve. There are multiple different Christmas references throughout the entire movie. Ho, 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 I have a machine gun. Uh, the, the ending of the movie has let it snow. I mean, the only reason why John McClane is even at the Nakatomi Plaza is because he's there to be home for the holidays, to be with his family. He even has a Christmas gift in the beginning, he's going to give to his daughter. What is it, this giant teddy bear? So, <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things where uh, I, I don't understand the, 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 the backlash people have against it for being a Christmas movie. Like, it has so many elements in it that are directly tied to the holiday. Lines of dialogue. It takes place on Christmas Eve. The whole party is a Christmas party. At the Nakatomi Plaza. Uh, I, I think some people don't consider it to be a Christmas movie because it's not lighthearted. You know, it, it's an act, a violent action movie. So to them, that's not a Christmas movie because it's not lighthearted enough. It doesn't represent the Christmas spirit enough to them. Okay, I think you've thoroughly answered that question, Mike. And it also says, Josh, do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Absolutely. That would be Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. That is my favorite. Interesting. It's my favorite Christmas movie. I, I like Home Alone 2. I don't like it as much as the first. I think a lot of uh, Home Alone 2 is just recycling stuff from the first movie. Well, and it isn't as good. That was the first one I saw as a kid. Because as a kid, okay. you, you couldn't really... It wasn't exactly the easiest thing in the world to like, oh, no, we can't break the movie sequence. You just kind of rented what was there. Yeah, And at Blockbuster, or no, it was Walmart. I don't know why I bought it. I uh, might have saw a commercial for it on TV or something. I was like, oh, Home Alone 2, I want that. So my mom got the VHS tape. We took it home, watched it, loved it, became an instant classic. So that is absolutely my favorite Christmas movie. All See, right. the thing for me with Home Alone 2 is the whole absurdity of the parents forgetting him again after everything that they went through in the first movie. And then getting pissed off at him at the end. Like, you charged so much money on my credit card, Kevin, you son of a bitch. Kevin could be like, you left me in New York. <laughs> yeah, but dude, they had like nine kids, though. I mean, it's not, and they were in a rush. It's no, not, I, I, mean, I, don't blame the, I don't blame the parents for that, for that one. I do. I totally blame them again. It happened again. Man, God help you if you ever have kids mike you i am well, gonna well, i'm gonna hold you up happened. i'm gonna think hold you up to the highest the... standards you better not fart wrong around why your kids are you, why are you giving them a pass for forgetting their kid again because people are not perfect okay they make mistakes 
they the had, same mistake twice. When you have a fucking after the kid almost got killed, when you have a small like school think, bus full of kids, you have to manage. No, no excuses. Double and check. Kevin was being a little bad. I mean, understandably so, because Buzz was being a cocksucker, and no one wanted to acknowledge that. But Kevin was being a little bastard the whole movie, and you know, and, well, in the first film, he wasn't really doing that in the second movie. Well, I don't remember what happened. Uh, well, no, the second movie, he like punched Buzz again, rightfully so. But they, anyway, yeah. whatever. We're gonna get, we'll get, we're gonna spend too much time on this. <laughs> we'll just get in a debate about, you know, you know, the the parents. We got a, We got another Chris Rogers question here. Any special plans for episode number two hundred? Nope, none at all. Not right now. <laughs> we should probably get on that. Uh, I'll po- around episode number one hundred ninety. I'll probably start thinking about what we can do for. I do want to do okay. something for it because that's a lot of episodes. Yeah. So here we have uh, Jade Destiny with the next question. She asks, uh, uh, what's the best movie of 2019? Uh, for me, my favorite film of 2019 is Rocketman. Loved it. Gorgeous visuals, great performance by uh, Ter- uh, Taron Edgerton as, uh, as Elton John. Just a wonderful film great message to it uh the way the director dexter fletcher mixed uh, music and and uh imagery on film was just amazing i cannot recommend it enough i also really liked uh john wick chapter three that was really cool dolomite is my name it was a great return to form for eddie murphy a lot of fun i also enjoyed the horror film crawl i thought that was that was a fun movie I haven't seen that many films of 2019, though, so I can't really, you know, speak for, uh, let's just say, the majority of people because there isn't really a lot for me to cull from. Uh, I was asked what was the best album from 2019. Uh, Gee, uh, I'm going to have to say my my favorite accomplishment uh, as far as albums go is my band's album, Hex, that came out in, I think, March of 2019. Uh, Ooh. I mean, I, we put a lot of work into that thing. Uh, I don't, yeah. I don't really, I don't know. I'm trying to think like none of the, none of the like old school bands I liked put out anything good in 2019 as far as I'm concerned. I guess, um, I don't know. Fucking, uh, because I know Slipknot put out a new album, Tool put out a new album, Corn put out I know a new you album. Like the Tool album. I didn't really like, oh, oh. Rammstein, Rammstein, Rammstein. Yes, that's that was my favorite album, 2019. Rammstein's new album, which I want to say is uh, self-titled. Yeah, it's self-titled. Rammstein. That's so. That was uh, my favorite album. That Morgan also asked, uh, vice versa. Okay, so now, my oh my me, favorite movie in 2019. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, did you want to go first? Well, in terms of albums, I got nothing because I don't really listen to a whole lot of albums. I guess maybe no. I guess I guess it would probably be the album by the newest album by the synthwave band. God damn it! What the fuck is her name? Uh, da, 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 da. I know the song's called "Dark All Day," and I think that might be the yeah Gunship. Uh, but that might not have been in 2019. That might have been 2018. Let me check. Yeah, that was 2018. No, I actually think they uploaded the uh, the song in 2018, but that's a fairly recent album that I liked, uh, Gunship's uh, recent album. 
Um, but I, I don't I really have a whole lot of I don't have really have a whole lot of modern albums that that uh, that I've listened to. Um, I just listen to a lot of like random tracks by bands like Gunship and FM eighty four and and uh, Scandroid and stuff like that. Uh, Dance with uh, <laughs> Dance with the Dead. Dance with Ghosts. Yes, that too. I like Tex. Sweet. Uh, another one from Chris Rogers. I swear we have more than Chris what Rogers. What was your best here. movie of 2019? Oh, uh, is the, did The Founder come out in 2019? No. Damn it. Uh, fuck, I've seen so little recent movies. Uh, shit, shit, <laughs> shit. Panicking. Cold sweats. Uh, what came out? What came out? A documentary? Is there any documentaries that came out? 2019 documentaries? 2000... <laughs> 19 documentaries. You're right, Morgan. Because she's like, that's why, you know, uh, Jade's like, haha, that, yeah, because Josh watches so many movies. You know, honestly. And then Morgan's like, that's why it might be funny. <laughs> uh, the Fire Festival fraud, uh, that came out in 2019. I liked that a lot. Oh, okay. uh, Leaving Neverland. I really like that, Doc. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I believe it or don't believe it. I just liked it. I like documentaries. I, I used to watch so many Michael Moore documentaries growing up. I didn't necessarily believe them one way or the other. I just that I, documentary was terrible, if you ask me. Oh, because you you're, you're 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 Michael Jackson fanboy. Not really. I I like Michael Jackson. I like some of his music, but I'm not what you would call a fanboy. I just don't buy into any of the bullshit that they said in that documentary. But all right. <laughs> Moving on to Chris Rogers. Mike and Josh, are there any forbidden segments that you're looking for or have not seen? Not for me. I haven't seen any uh, of the forbidden segments in so long, so I'd probably say all of them. <laughs> Except for the ones we've already covered. All right, get the next one. Uh, Chris Fincham says, if you could solve one unsolved case, what, which would it be? Like, we've answered that question, like, how many times? We should have a, we should have a frequently asked question. I, I'm not even being, like, sarcastic. We should make a frequently asked questions, uh, document. I think I said JFK. Yeah, I And th- that's a big one for my, me. Mine's probably changed throughout every time this is asked, but for me at this point, I, I, God damn it, I want to know any of the UFO ones. <laughs> any, if <laughs> any of those could be solved, like, that would be great. But I guess, like, a human one, um... Mm, you know, if it, if I, it's you know, it's not going to come to me right now, but I definitely have some that I wish were solved. Uh, Jordan D. I always wondered how to say her last name. Depa. I'm guessing it's Depa. Jordan Depa. Uh, who would win in a fight, Robert Stack or Lieutenant Joe Kenda? Uh, well, if we're talking when they were both like on, a, like let's say the first season of either of either show. Um, Homicide Hunter with Joe Kenda or Unsolved Mysteries Robert Stack. I'm going to say Robert Stack. Robert Stack looked like he had a little bit more like bulk to him. Uh, Joe Kenda looks kind of wormy. I mean, he's an intimidating guy, but like when it actually came down to fisticuffs, uh, I think that Robert Stack would Stack, win. I, I, I think Stack also really kept himself up in good physical shape, at, at least as, as, as uh, good as he could. I mean, you see some older photos of him, like he... He was in pretty good shape. Not an athlete, but still still uh, in good shape, nonetheless. Uh, then she asked who would win in a fight, me or you, and I'm just going to say it would be you. You would kick my ass. <laughs> it wouldn't even be close. God. <laughs> how, Jordan, how dare you put put this this awful question 
up for for discussion that I would uh, that I would harm a hair on Mike's sweet little head. <laughs> I am Mike's protector, okay? I am his I am his advocate. I would never I would never lay a non-sexual finger on Mike. Sexually, that's a whole You might try story. to wrestle me if you get drunk enough. If we got drunk enough, if there was a bottle of baby oil around, if there was a kiddie pool, yes, I definitely would probably try to wrestle Mike and make him squeal like a piggy, because that's how we do it down south. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, da, 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 da. All right, next. Uh, I think you're reading the next Jordan one. She says, what is one case from Unsolved Mysteries that gives you the heebie-jeebies every time you think about it? Probably that one where there was that guy who was obviously guilty who was interviewed. I forgot which case it was. Talking about was, the was, uh, backyard bones segment. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a good one. Yeah, uh, Leonard um, Leonard in Rizzo. Terms of like, yeah, in terms of creeping me out. Uh, the other one that give there's uh, some unexplained ones. I I know Allagash is kind of uh, let's just say suspicious now, but it still creeps me out. Uh, the one, uh, Rick Church, that case, just because of, like, the sheer, just random savagery of it. Um, and, um... Dennis DePew, for me. Yeah, that one, too, the one that inspired Jeepers Creepers. Uh, Missing Time, the Missing Time segment. That, mm-hmm. Especially when the, the, uh, chick is talking about how... Uh, she she walked outside of her car and then they see something and they run inside the car and get underneath the dashboard and then their next memory is laying out in the middle of a field like they were placed there for a nap and then their next memory is driving like hell down the highway that just mm-hmm. that non sequitur uh, set of events and knowing that it was uh, in in combination with seeing a unidentified flying object that definitely gives me the heebie jeebies yeah. the uh, Tolman ghost. That one, that one doesn't give me the heebie-jeebies because that guy's yell always kind of adds that comic <laughs> relief that I need to dilute it. Well, I guess maybe not. Maybe ah! not Tolman. <laughs> it's the other one with like the 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 skeevy like fat guy who was dating women like way younger than him. Oh, you're talking about uh, Alan Mann, the uh, yeah, Lake, Lake Wales haunting in Lake Wales, Florida, and and uh, the Black Hope. Black Hope. Yeah, that, that, one one, that one's pretty freaky. Uh, next, another one from Chris Rogers. Uh, what do you think of Volume 2 of the Unsolved Mysteries soundtrack, Mike? I think it sounds pretty good for what I uh, skimmed through recently. I haven't listened to all of it yet, but I mean, it sounds like a pretty uh, good uh, mix of music. I know this is the one that has like the unexplained, right? Uh, like UFOs yes. and mm-hmm. like... Some other tracks like that. I think it has the Algash music in there. Yeah, the reason somewhere. why uh, Chris didn't ask me that is because I made a big bitch fest on the uh, group the other day about how I own the fucking record, but I haven't heard it yet because I, I refuse to listen to it unless it's on a record player. Buy a freaking record player I'm already. I'm trying. I know. <laughs> I I just I want to get a good one, and good ones are expensive. I don't want to get a fucking Crosley $60 one with a little rubber band for the drive belt that's going <laughs> to snap and just sound overall like ass. Maybe do some reviews of like, I mean, look up look up some reviews online of some cheaper models just to start out with. Just to see if they're like good. Um, next, or not. Chris asks, "What did you guys get for Christmas?" We kind of already, already answered that answered question. That. Robin Lewis says, "Yeah, when will Mike and Josh rent a motel room and just get it over with?" J.K. <laughs> I, I think your real questions. 
I mean, I know there's been. A, I mean, you guys may not realize this or not, but there's a lot of sexual tension on this podcast week after week. Uh, I feel like it. 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 Uh, it comes from my end. You know, I've, I'm feeling the sexual tension from Mike. Um, you know, like he is attracted to me, and and I feel that tension. And sometimes it, no. it gets the other way too. And and I agree. Just, I mean, we. The sad thing no. is, Robin, we live thousands of miles away, so distance. Makes the heart grow fonder, and that's how we've been able to do this for three years. So, you know, that's the answer to that statement. You got the next one. So, Tony, uh, he asked, uh, is Stephanie single? But he also asked uh, what our favorite episode ever is. He also says that you would whoop my ass. Which isn't true. But, uh, uh, yes, yes, (laughs) boys and girls, Stephanie is single. Uh, The the woman who has made an appearance on a few... uh, podcast co-hosting and the one that can be heard on the dancing with ghost songs is single and she is not ready to mingle so you can try hitting her up but good luck getting a response she will probably not respond to you uh favorite episode ever now does it episode would entail uh, all the what, se- of our podcast or of unsolved mysteries <laughs> i'm gonna say he means unsolved mysteries but an episode entails many different segments so i can't think of an Yeah, I can't think of one, really, because there's a lot of episodes that have some good segments in it and then have some crappy segments in the middle. Yeah, let's just go with segments. What's your favorite segment currently? Off the top of my head, there's just too many to, like, say, like, my favorite. I mean, Allagash is is a good one, and, you know, I I do like... uh, um, Because that's the one that comes out, you know... Up off the top of my head right now. For me, but, I mean, it's it just, it's, it's like just really difficult to like. Oh, what are your favorite segments ever from the yeah. show? It's like there's there's too many. <laughs> I'm gonna, for me, I'm gonna say it's Allagash, the Dale. Um, Dale's a good one. Yeah, El, El, the fraud segments I like. Elvis's like last of, night. I really like. I that. like a lot of the fraud segments. Yes, almost all the fraud segments are my favorite. Honestly, I I, I wish they'd done more of those. All right, Helen Hurd, who has been... Oops, sorry, I said her last name. Well, whatever. I'm sure she doesn't care. Unless she does, then it's too late because this is already out if you're hearing it. Uh, she's been doing a kick-ass job uh, maintaining our Twitter account, which is at Uncovering uh, UUM. Uh, at Uncovering UUM, if you want to follow us on Twitter. She asks, what podcast do y'all listen to? Would either of you do a solo podcast? Do you find having a co-host is better? I guess I can answer that one first. Uh, the podcasts that I mainly listen to are the uh, Monday Morning Podcast by Bill Burr. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm the biggest Bill Burr fan. I've just been listening to him for like ever since he started his podcast, so it's just kind of a habit thing. Um, I think Bill Burr's turning slowly but surely more into a grumpy old fart who a boomer. Yeah, he's got a lot of boomer <laughs> energy about him now that I just I'm like he's so rigid in his in how he sees the world and like it's like his way is the only correct way to be and if you act any other way he's going to call you out and I just don't really like that. But I don't know. It's just like one of those I'm sure our podcast is like that for some people. They don't really like a lot of the things we say. They just kind of always, they've just been listening to us for so long. They just keep doing it. <laughs> That's how Bill Burr's is to me. Another one I listen to is the Spawn Wave podcast. It's a, a ver- uh-huh. it's a very video game centric podcast that 
keeps me up to date with all the latest video game news. Didn't you used to listen to like the Pat the NES Punk? Or yeah, something? I still listen to that. The uh, CU podcast. That's a more casual podcast for gamers. So like, if you're not in, if you don't want to get into the trenches, you just want to gloss over general video game news. That's a better one for that. I listen to both of them. I listen to the uh, more in depth one on Sunday nights when I'm cleaning, and then I listen to the other one on Wednesday. Uh, I listen to the Eddie Trunk podcast. It is uh, Eddie Trunk has been in the radio and music business since 1983, and he's always interviewing people from like the 80s hair metal time, and sometimes he interviews people from modern. Oh, that's the guy from uh, uh, that that metal show. Yeah, that metal show. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like Eddie Trunk. I always have, and I, I enjoy that podcast. It's like like it's sports talk for rock fans, basically. <laughs> um, Occasionally, I listen to uh, Zach Weber's podcast, The Knights of Vader. He actually was, uh, his podcast spawned from listening to our podcast. He heard us, and he's like, well, if these two fucktards can do a podcast, then surely I can do one, too. And he's, uh, what was this, episode 151 for him, as I'm looking at right now? Yeah, so he's kept kept on, keep keeping on, and he's got... I don't really listen to podcasts. It's just one of those things where, you know, it might be kind of fun to maybe list, start listening to some more, but... I, I watch more uh, YouTube videos. You know, right now I've been binging uh, Studio C. I, I know they're like a sketch comedy uh, group. Uh, that I, th- I think a lot of their stuff aired on BYU TV of all things. Um, but uh, yeah, I've been enjoying their their uh, work. I've been watching uh, season one and two. I binge watched uh, clips from the from the first two seasons already. I would recommend them if you like uh, sketch comedy, because there's a, there's a lot of really good good bits in there. Like there's one where the the gag is this guy's trying to set up a, a, a wedding, and he ends up getting a funeral uh, planner instead. <clears throat> and so there's a lot of like fun uh, mix-ups that are involved with that. So that's a, that's a really funny sketch. Um, no, I, I don't really do a lot of, uh, podcasts. I guess a lot of stuff is I watch movies or watch TV shows, or watch YouTube. I mean, I just got a lot of, or Unsolved Mysteries. I mean, I've been working a lot lately, so I haven't really, really had a whole lot of time to listen to podcasts, but that's, that's just me personally. Um, what, what I do a solo podcast, I've thought about doing it in the past, but I, I don't, I don't think I'd try to do it. It's a lot of work, to be honest. I don't want to do this podcast and do another podcast. You were going to do that sightings one by yourself, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, I thought about it, but then I was like, this is just too much work. I, I'm not. And it would suck. Because honestly, I do think having a co-host is better. Yeah. I really do feel that way. I, w- I would do a solo, uh, or I would do a, uh, not a solo podcast, but I would do a, a another podcast only if I wasn't doing this podcast. I love doing podcasts, but yeah, it's it's a it's it's a lot of work. It can be, especially on my end. I, I'm the one who edits. I'm the one who puts it together, makes sure it's released on on time, and all that, you know. And and it's you know for me, especially the podcast is is a lot more work and um, maintaining everything, all the social media and the Patreon and all that shit. Uh, so I, there is no fucking way on top of a YouTube channel and a band I would do a second podcast in addition to this one. Um, 
And yes, having a co-host is definitely better than doing solo. Have, being able to bounce off of somebody is really good. Finding a dynamic with somebody that works is good. I mean, I feel like with Mike, uh, the dynamic is he's the straight man. He's he's got the dad jokes. I can work off. <laughs> I can work off the stuff he says and you know make him feel awkward or take his dad jokes and tease him about it and it's like the you know it's these kind of dynamics are uh fun and it feels natural um yeah it just depends I mean, initially i planned on doing it solo but then yeah. I, I took the chance and took a giant leap he wasn't a and, giant uh, leap i mean it was for me i haven't really done i didn't do any podcasts except with with uh with another friend of mine, talking we cinema, did some right? Stuff. Yeah, we did some stuff every now and then, but we didn't do it like every week. And so, and I didn't really, and that's somebody I knew for a long time. I've known for years. It was a little bit of a leap for me, you know, a jump out of the comfort zone for me to to approach you, and I'm glad I did. Yeah. All right, we got another Jordan Depa here. I think it's you, you to that reads it. Okay, she's got another one here. Uh, are you sure it's her? She has another one. What's y'all? Oh yeah, what? What's y'all's biggest? Yeah, pet peeve? what's uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? Uh, I already, one I already of them got is mine. People, yeah, me interrupting you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wasn't gonna say that, but now, yeah, actually, now that you mentioned it. <laughs> um, but no, one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, when you're watching a movie and people are asking you fucking questions. Oh yeah, that's so annoying. Or talking in general, yeah, over movies. Or I, I, I will take that and run with it. People talking over music. I'm trying to show them. <laughs> I'm trying to show them a song or have them listen to something. Especially if I created it and I put my blood, sweat, and tears into it. And I just want you to listen to it. And you start fucking asking me questions or saying or or you're already telling me what you think it sounds like oh this sounds like uh you know screaming trees this sounds like depeche mode this sounds like rammstein shut the fuck up and listen to the song (laughs) or tell me that you don't want to listen to it and i'll turn it the fuck off but don't don't be a fence rider and be like okay i'll listen to his goddamn song even though i don't want to i'll just talk and it's like how fucking ADD are you that you can't yeah. sit in in three minutes of silence it, it, before you can start yeah, flapping it's like, your gums it's like again? The stuff with the movies is even is even more is really annoying because they're asking you questions about what happens or why this is happening, and it's like just watch the fucking movie, <laughs> and then you'll get the answer to that question. Or people talking about like, oh, that wouldn't happen. It's a fucking movie. It's not a documentary. Stop complaining about whether something is realistic or not. Like, come on, it's a fantasy. It's not real. Yeah, my um, other other things are uh, as a collector of movies. Like when you the fucking stickers that you run into in some places that are a pain in the ass to take off, and even if you do get them off, they leave that sticky residue all over the case. Another one is just simply going someplace, thinking you found something you're looking for, you open the case, it's empty, or it has something else in there. Oh yeah, that's that's a kick in the nuts. For me, uh, I'm going to keep mine simple. Uh, traffic and large crowds or lines when I'm when I want to do something and there's or, a- or, or how about um, when you're doing your trivia or your uh, karaoke? You know, people 
you know, doing Ch- stuff. Challenging me, challenging my yeah. answer. Yeah, that's pretty uh-huh. annoying, but trap... People challenging your answer, and in karaoke, people asking you for the same song, like, over and over again. Eh. You just kind of build up a tolerance to that, but for me, traffic just... When I get stuck in a long line of traffic, and I know I'm going to be stuck there, I, I that pisses me off, because I know there's nothing I can do about it, and just... Uh, going into somewhere and I'm hungry. Yeah. I just want to get, I want to grab it and go. Or and just being hungry. Yeah. Being hungry is a pet peeve. <laughs> like right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> hungry, thankfully. But uh, yeah, if I was starving, I'd be in a much shittier mood right now. Uh, all right. This next one's from Mario Rios. Any segments from early episodes of the podcast that you two plan on re recording in 2020? Any interesting holiday work stories? Uh, no on the re recording any anything i just wanted to do that for the first two episodes because they were just so poorly recorded uh and everything else from the past it depends i don't know i mean we might we might because there might be a case that's like really good that might get an update or something i mean yeah if that happens maybe uh interesting holiday work stories i don't really want to talk about work right now (laughs) yeah i because i have to be at work again Later tonight, so I, I, you know, just just people, you know, so a, a few individuals being lame. That happens every every uh, holiday season. All right, next one's from Morgan. <laughs> I can't think of anything to ask. All right, cool, right on. Very helpful, Morgan. Uh, I got some more. From- well, technically, she did do the vice versa thing. Yeah, on the movie yeah. and and album thing. So. Uh, Jordan again launches a a ballistic firing squad of questions at us. <laughs> what is what food is your guilty pleasure? Uh, guilty. That means like I'm ashamed that I enjoy it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess McDonald's. I really like McDonald's when it's good, when it's fresh. It tastes amazing to me. Is is it really that good though? I my hillbilly simple ass tongue <laughs> tongue likes the taste of it. No, I mean McDonald's can be good. I like the when breakfast it's when and it's stuff right like that. when it's made fresh and it's yeah. like right. You know, like it's it's not been sitting under the fucking heat lamp for three hours. Uh, I like a good McDonald's. Yeah. What about you? I you know um, I don't really feel guilty about any of the food that I like to eat, so it's not really. But I guess maybe. You know, Taco Bell seems to have this really bad reputation, so I, I guess I don't get eat it a lot, but I like getting the cheesy gordita crunch. But like that's that's really as far as I can go in terms of like oh you know guilty pleasure or food guilty pleasure. Her next question, Jordan then uh, yeah, asks, uh, "Who are you most scared of? Who? Like, <laughs> not what? Who?" I can tell. I can answer that one. Uh, I'm most scared of people who let fear rule their lives in way of thinking. Those are the people that I'm most scared of. Yeah, irrational, uh, paranoid people. Yeah, that is that is pretty scary. Mm, those are two different things to me. Like, say any kind well, of a lot of that deals with paranoia. I'm talking mainly about like hardcore fundamentalist groups, cults, uh, yeah, rednecks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, ignorant, you know, racist, homophobes, yeah. anybody who lets fear control so their So the president way of falls thinking. into that category. So yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> politicians. I'm I'm scared of a lot of politicians. Uh, fear doesn't motivate them. Money does. 
No, but see, that's the thing. That's what makes it scary, because they don't give a shit about you. Yeah. Our next question is, what is your favorite Netflix documentary if you watch them? I feel, uh, I think I watched a, a documentary that was, uh, what was a ne- uh, Netflix exclusive documentary? There's got, hold on. I'll answer that. What's yours, Mike? I would say the favorite that I can think of off the top of my head that's, ne- that's a Netflix exclusive is Wild Wild Country. It was that good. Okay, so they did they did the fire they did a fire uh, festival. Oh, they did. Which one was better, the Hulu? I think it was. I think the Hulu one one. was the one that was better. I think that's the one I actually watched too. I need to watch the Amanda Knox one. I don't have Netflix currently though. So if anyone wants to give me their login info, free trial. Someone give me their login info. I won't. I won't abuse it. You can trust (laughs) me. Get it. Get at me. Her next, getting it from me. Her next question is boxers or briefs. Uh, that's an easy one for me, Jim. That's boxers. Uh, the combo of both. You know, the, the boxer briefs. That's what I like. I like either boxers or if I'm wearing jeans or I'm going out, uh, free balling. No, no boxers or anything. <laughs> it bunches up. I don't, it's not comfortable to me. So, so you're free, free, free balling. balling. <laughs> now I'm free. Free ballin'. <laughs> uh, Dale Callahan says, thanks for the awesome podcast. Thank you, Mike. You're welcome. And then finally, because I'm tired of flip-flopping here, I just want to get this over with. Danielle asks, have you ever considered having a fan beyond an episode as a guest host of sorts? Um, Kind of thought about it, I guess. I just don't know what... Like, I don't really know what that would add. Uh, maybe getting like an outsider perspective who's a fan of the show. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? I haven't thought about it because I think it's just a lot of, you know, just to sync us up. Yeah. That's a a lot for you. Honestly, that's, that's probably the biggest one right there because me and Mike are able to do this because he has a method. He has a microphone and a way of recording his own voice independently of this Skype session. And I do the same thing. We record our voices into recorders that are separate from the Skype session, and then he sends me his audio, and I have to sync it up with my audio, and that's how you're able to get this pristine audio quality, and it doesn't sound like we're talking on Skype, but we are right now. We're talking on Skype, but it, does, yeah. it doesn't sound that way to you guys when because you're getting the audio straight from our mics to the recorders. So if we had a guest on there... Uh, we'd have to figure out a way to, you know, get them in and have them sound good. Now with Liz and Sam and Robin, well, no, I don't think, I think Robin, his audio wasn't good because maybe he was doing Skype or something. But with Liz and Sam, they record directly into something from the Perhaps It's You podcast. And they were actually able to, we did it, what I do with me and Mike, but with two other people. So they sent me their audio and I had to sync all of it up. And that's how all that sounded good. But that that you basically, if you're able to record your own audio, maybe you have a chance of getting on this podcast with us. Uh, that might be fun. I don't know. Well, that looks like all the questions. Let's wrap this fucker up because at this point it's going to be closing in on three hours, uh, which for the last podcast of the year, I guess, is pretty good. Yeah, wrap it up. Because I'm gonna bring bring out that uh, box, the wrap it up box, right now. Because I'm the one who's starving this time around. Yeah, my my <laughs> lingering last little bits of food poisoning have uh, sapped a little bit of my appetite, so I'm not as hungry as I honestly should be right now. 
But uh, all right. My stomach is doing barrel rolls. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the podcast, folks. Um, I think I've plugged everything. There is a plug besides the YouTube channels. Yeah. If you want, I have a YouTube channel <laughs> called OCP Communications. <laughs> uh, the, the last video I uploaded was a uh, vlog where I talked about all the Christmas uh, gifts and stuff I got. Um, and I talked about a couple uh, movie trailers and gave my thoughts on Eddie Murphy's return to SNL. Uh, it was fun. I don't think it was a fantastic episode because SNL is just not that great lately anyway. A lot of it was just a bunch of member berries. Like, hey, remember this character that Eddie played on SNL? Well, here he is again. Remember this one? I would have liked to have seen a little bit more uh, new sketches with Eddie. Eddie also, sadly, uh, he was really rusty. He was fl- he flubbed like multiple lines in multiple sketches, and it kind of just took me out of it at times. Well, that's funny because like the perspective that because uh, Bill Burr, I was listening to his podcast, and, and of course Bill Burr is in the entertainment industry, and a lot of people listen to his podcast, so of course he has to suck Eddie Murphy's dick. He was like, Eddie Murphy was amazing on SNL. He was, it was legendary, and this, that, and the other, and now to hear your perspective, it's like funny to hear how much Bill made him seem like he was like... I don't, I don't think it was legendary. I mean, it was, he, he did a good job for a uh, uh, sketch comedian who hadn't been on stage doing live comedy for 30 some years, but you know, he did show some rust. Um, and I would say the best one, the best sketch was the, the digital short home for the holidays. I do recommend that one. That was really funny because Eddie Murphy is like the man of the house and he's doing a speech, a toast, you know, to celebrate the holidays and talk about how happy he is that his family's here in his home and it would cut to like the reality of how he was arguing with his wife, you know, before about why do they have to come here? You know, I'm not going to pay for all this damn food, you know? So this kind of, you know, that kind of, uh, dynamic where it's like all happy and I'm glad you're here, grandpa. And then like cut to grandpa making annoying noises while he's trying to go to sleep, you know, that kind of stuff. Very relatable. There's a lot of people around the holidays. It's like, in a lot of ways, it's you put up with it, yeah. you know, your family members and everything like you put on this smile. But like you have these moments where you're all like, fuck this. <laughs> I hate it. All right. So uh, I have a YouTube channel, YouTube.com slash Dancing with Ghosts. The last video I did was still the video about uh, do antidepressants make you feel like a zombie. My upload schedule has been slow because of the holidays and the band. I hope to start. I really have been just chomping at the bit to put out more YouTube content. So uh, I really want to get on top of that uh, in the new year. Uh, but yeah, man, thank you everybody so much for another awesome fucking year of support. Thank you for the new yeah. fans that we got in 2019. And, uh, you know, to the fans that we lost, fuck you. You never really liked us that much to begin with. No, I'm just joking. I don't give a shit. <laughs> um, and, you know, look forward to another year with you guys. Yeah. So, so happy new year. So we'll see you next year. Bye. See ya.